Okay, cool. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George show where I make up intros off the top of my head because people are amazing and I'm stoked to have them. And today's guest is somebody that I've wanted to interview for probably five years, except I didn't have a podcast nor a reason to talk to him. And then we became best friends overnight. And so (laughs) I'm excited beyond belief to have somebody that I look up to. I've considered a mentor through his teachings and what he's done. He stands for absolutely everything that is ethical entrepreneurship, caring about human beings, making a difference, building legacy businesses, and tolerates absolute zero bullshit while doing any of it while also leading by example. You know that magic thing that we don't see a lot of on the internet where it's do as I say, not as I do because I don't want you to see what I do? Well, Alex Sharfin is here today. CEO of Sharfin, he has built massively successful companies, navigated some of the biggest downturns of our world and my lifetime, and always come out on top with a smile on his face, grounded in the values that are important to him, his family, and leads by example. And so without further ado, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, George. That was one of the best intros I've ever gotten, man. That was awesome. I feel like Eminem and 8 Mile on Sunday mornings <laughs> at 8 a.m. before I have my coffee, right? It's... I want that on my phone so I can play it each morning before I start working. We'll send you the audio clip, and, and then we can do it like The Rock used to do his alarm codes, right? Like, get up, and he yells at you. you yeah, exactly. that one. <laughs> yeah, so I'm super, super excited to have you, man. I'm honored. This has been a long time coming, and before we get into the deep, deep, deep stuff for the show, whatever you know, navigating turns we're going to end up in today... The first question that I always ask everybody to set context to humanize is, and and you have a lot of these, so feel free to take creative freedom with this one. Um, What is the biggest mistake that you've ever made in business and what was the lesson that you took away from it? Dude, that's like trying to uh, like walk into an Amazon warehouse and say, which is the best box? (laughs) There's so many options. you know, George, when I when I consider mistakes in business, so many of them, I don't look at them as mistakes anymore because I've learned from them. I find where I am now. They've they like I feel like almost every mistake, every huge challenge that I created, has has actually taught me something and moved me forward. And I think the one place where I would say that 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 there were actual mistakes that I regret, you know, and 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 here's why I regret them. I don't regret the learning from them. But the mistakes that I made were with people. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was younger, especially, there was a tremendous amount of collateral damage in the businesses that I ran. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of those people, not anymore, not not at all anymore, but I was one of those people that if I was going to separate with somebody, I actually had to break the, break the relationship. I had to make it okay with me. You know, I had to make it so that it was so horrible that like we could never talk again. And when I look back at some of the separations that I had, you know, where people were either terminated or left the companies that I ran, I feel like those are some of the biggest mistakes I made. And, and, you know, if I could go back and do it over again, I would, I would, you know, I would tell my younger self that you don't have to completely destroy a relationship to put it on pause. And you don't have to completely like demonize somebody to have them leave, leave your company. Like those are all natural things that happen in the world. And, you know, today with contrast, you know, I, when, when somebody leaves our organization now or when somebody decides to go to another opportunity, which doesn't happen often anymore, but when it does, it's, uh, it's totally different. You know, I've actually, I've, I've let several, this year, because of COVID and some other reasons, we've actually let a few people go. And it's interesting because I've remained connected with them. We connect every once in a while, you know, we talk. And so having that experience of being able to work with somebody and then continue the relationship, even though it's no longer a working relationship, has been extraordinary and when I was younger, I did not even allow space for that. And I think that was this 
this continuous long-term mistake, honestly, that comes from a childhood of trauma and a childhood of bullying and a childhood of really challenging relationships where I didn't understand how to navigate them. And I brought that forward into my business career. That's that's the biggest regret. Yeah, man. And there's so much gold in there. This is why we get along so well. So for some context, guys, when Alex and I reconnected, we got on Zoom for a half an hour and then we're like, we need an hour, then we need three hours. Now let's just keep talking all day, every day. Because we had... <laughs> We, um, my wife came out that day and she's like, are you okay? What happened? That was a half hour phone call. <laughs> it was three hours. I was like, I was like, sorry, Katie, you can have him back now. I'm like, I'm getting my very much dopamine hit and I'm not going to deny this, that I wanted this. Like, this was very much my drug today and I'm okay with this one, right? This is one of those, like, I can go seek it as I need. You know, Alex, one of the things that I think is so imperative, and we talked about this, but you and I have so many similarities in this, is that in the beginning right? It was this collateral damage, right? I got feedback that there were trails of dead bodies behind every success. And there were two sides of it for me that were tough. Number one is I never celebrated, right? There was no space because it was never good enough, right? And so that took from everybody and made it. And then really, I think as an entrepreneur and a self-aware entrepreneur, and you talk about this as like evolutionary hunters and the way that you do this, I think it was your EPT, your entrepreneurial personality types, you know, one of the things that I think is so amazing as entrepreneurs is that we're driven. We're driven for change. We want things to be better. But I think what the the razor's edge is or the, the tightrope that we ride, ride a unicycle down from is to come from when we go down the middle. And there was that part of us as entrepreneurs where down the middle, all the one side was insecurity, ego. It doesn't matter. It's never enough. I'll sacrifice anything and boom. And then we've spent our life at this point working towards self-awareness love compassion empathy relationship and like even you just said like i didn't think this was possible a couple years ago like wait somebody can leave my organization and be better than when they got there and we still have a relationship like we can still text we can talk right like this isn't you know purgatory (laughs) exile like we're going back in mayan culture so what are some of the things because you have like five core values at your company you guys stand for humans like you stand for change you stand for being but I know this is prevalent everywhere. And I had one of my mentors at a very young age, Alan, uh, Alex, told me that and, – and I learned this as a Marine too. Like my job wasn't to keep people underneath me. My job was to get myself fired and get them better than me. And there's a point where you know they have to leave the coop and they have to yeah. grow. But I think the biggest distinction is it was talked about in their world. But really it's our, our growth as a human like on ourself, like the self-awareness side. So – what are some of the things that you do that you focus on? Like you help companies with operations, with culture, with flow, with team and people. Like how do you go about that? And what are some of the things that you keep to keep your keel in the water as you navigate that? Oh, man, there's so much question, George. So um, that's the point. Now I can drink my yeah. coffee over here and go to town. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, George, I think in order to answer that question, I kind of have to take a step back and, and talk about where where like I've come from. Like if you want to know how, how things are kept in motion now, I think we have to first draw a contrast as to how things were before. Yes, sir. And when I look at, you know, when I was younger and well into my 20s, you know, I, I experienced a tremendous amount of trauma. And and, you know, I, I had the same same like processes. This came up in our in our we, we just had a three day event with 200 companies around the world. And it came up this week. I start I talk, I talk openly about tra- trauma yeah. and how it drives us in the present. And I often tell our clients, you know, until you are ready to work through your trauma, you are destined to create more. And you will. You will only continue to create trauma because it's a pattern. People hurt people. And that's really how it works. 
You know, when I look at somebody who's who's causing havoc in the world, what I see is somebody who's severely traumatized and, and acting through those things. And so for me, when I was 26 years old, I went through a really severe breakup. I'm 47 now. And at the time, I had to do, I actually was, um, I was uncomfortable enough that the only time I felt comfortable was when I was drinking. The only time I really fell asleep and stayed asleep was when I was kind of loaded and I wasn't used to having those feelings. Like I, I had, when I was younger, I had definitely, um, I, I, there was no lack of time in bars or drinking and, and entertaining and doing those things. But I hit this period where it almost became a necessity and not almost, it became a necessity. And it was, it was severely challenging to go through that. And my mom was a therapist in California and I was talking to her about it. I had tried cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't know if you've tried this. I, I have. You go in like, ugh, I don't, I don't want to demonize all cognitive behavioral therapy, but for me, CBT was so hard because you go in, you spill your guts and the person across the room goes, I see, how does that make you feel? And then you spill your guts more. And then they say, I see, how does that make you feel? And then you spill more. And by the third time they say, I see, how does that make you feel? I actually responded one time to a therapist. It makes me feel like I want to get up, cross the room and knock you out because you're not helping me. Yep. I feel like you're just, this is frustrating. I feel, I feel agitated and triggered and all that stuff. And so I stopped doing that. And I remember calling my mom and she said therapy called EMDR. And um, it's eye movement desensitization and reprogramming. It's, it's a very weird sounding therapy, but it's actually amazing. I, you know, George, it's interesting that you were in the military and we, we talk so much about trauma because even back then when I was 26, I had some friends that had been in the teams mm -hmm. And um, they were EMDR for Navy SEALs. Yep. There was actually this huge experiment in the, the military to see if EMDR would help with the offloading of trauma and return to service. And they were getting incredible results with it. So for me, um, that growth process has been understanding my trauma, understanding where so much of my reactivity and almost automatic behaviors came from. And... And so much of, of processing what had happened to me has now allowed me to become more present and aware. And you know what's interesting, George? I, I, I used to think that I was so present and so aware when I was in my 20s. And now I look back and it's like the funniest thing in the world because I was so detached and, and not even feeling my feelings and understanding what was going on. I didn't even know how to interpret what was happening. And then, you know, I thought I did so much better in my 30s. And I'm like, you know, nailed it. And then I look back and I'm like, no, I just had a better understanding, but I was still working through so much of it. Mm -hmm. And finally, I feel like in about the past 10 years, I've kind of like gone into another gear of really being able to release things and process things and and work through things. And that's been a combination of a ton of breath work. Yep. Breath work, I think, has been one of the most effective things that I've done. Uh, a tremendous amount of EMDR therapy and and going back often is needed, not like just when it's acute, but when I feel stuck or when I feel like I have writing blocks or anything like that. And then, um, you know, really a lot of self-exploration and a lot of, and 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 if, if you wanted to put a layer on all of that, it's process, structure, and routine. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, when I say that, you know, this is what for today is like the process, structure, and routine that allows you to grow a business, grow your life, have what you want in your life. But for most of my life, I fought process structure, structure and routine more than anything else. Oh yeah. Because I had that, that, that impression that like, as an entrepreneur, what makes you successful is being whatever you want, anytime that you want. And so I held on to that myth, that illusion, that totally illusory place that does not exist where you can be a successful entrepreneur and just wake up and do whatever the heck you want every day. It doesn't really work. I mean, you might be able to be a, yeah, no, 
there's not there's not a situation where it works. And so um, I think the biggest shift for me has been committing to process, structure, and routine, like up to and including even on a Sunday this morning, I got up, did my morning planning, went through my morning routine like I do every other day, sat down and aligned with my family. It's it's like now it's an edict. It's not an option anymore because I know that's where my strength and really that's where my be present and and productive and persuasive and influential. That's where it comes from. Totally, totally. There's so much in that, and I wanna, I wanna nail some. So people have heard me talk about EMDR before, um, but I glance over it, right? Because very rarely am I across from somebody who I'm like, oh, you too, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I remember. Like, I remember we did CBT. And my wife actually walked us out. She was with me because I was trying to process childhood trauma stacked on military trauma stacked on bad entrepreneurial trauma. And she's like, this is not going to help you. This is like seven. Which created relationship trauma. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you, oh, you, you, like, I mean, I was like a trauma definition, right? Like you opened the book right. in the, the dictionary and it was a picture of every instance of my life, how they all exacerbated each other. George in different scenes. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it was like, it was like almost like a storyboard for a movie film at this point. And, um, I remember one EMDR appointment and I came out, my wife's like, you're a different person. Like one appointment, one yeah. appointment. And I think you nailed something too. And I think what's so important, Alex, and, and this is like the undertow of what you're talking about. And if anybody hasn't caught this yet, the success as an entrepreneur on the outside comes from the commitment to the work on the inside. 100%. And it is a daily, and I mean daily committed practice to come in. And like EMDR for me was two years of, I think, once or twice a week. And then it was like a once a year if needed. And now I just text him and like just texting him like gets me back into like where I need to go. Um, but I think it's so important like to reach the levels when we talk about this, the, the two things that being number one is this commitment to self, right? And like, it's what you teach now. It's the discipline, the intentionality, the process, the structure, everything that you're doing, but also the awareness of like what it really means to be an entrepreneur and what we're doing. Right. Yeah. And, and you hit this and, and we live in a world right now where it's like, Oh, laptop lifestyle and boom, boom, boom. And yeah, you do whatever you want. I'm like, that's not what it's like. That Instagram no. life is not real. And entrepreneurship is amazing. It is the most freeing, powerful job, you know, whatever business opportunity on the planet. But within that, we also have to create our own containers and structure to make it that efficient. If not, it's just a new form of addiction to hide from the traumas and the pain that we've never worked on. Yeah. No question. And I think, I, I think, and, and for you, like you say, yo, you're in your forties. I'm like, I, I became aware yesterday of things I was doing that I wasn't aware of. Right. Like I think it's 100%. this, it's this process and awareness, but I think it was like last year, maybe after the birth of my son, where I was like looking at it and I was like, Oh, you mean that like my name can't carry everything. And I say something and magically a million dollars appears. Like why? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, why didn't my launch crush? Like, why don't my Facebook ads work and nobody else's does? Like, why don't they just work? Cause I deserve them to work. Right. Like there was this, there was this thing that like I had to be aware of and process through and eat some humble pie. And so there's so many gold nuggets that you said. Um, and, and the first question I asked you was like, how do you operate forward at this point? And you nailed it. But I think one more thing I want to unpack before we even get there is in the very beginning, when I asked you what was the biggest mistake or lesson, you said something so subtle, but so empowering as a statement to where you are. And you said the challenges I created, not the challenges that happened to me, not the challenges that somehow magically fell on my plate, like the challenges I created. Yeah. And there's this level of ownership 
that we do in breath, in work, in life, in modalities that puts us in this situation of awareness and the ability to shift something. But I see a whole lot of time and, and we both coach entrepreneurs, a whole lot of like, I don't know why this happened and this happened and they did this to me and they did this to me. And it's like an advocation of responsibility. Yeah. And it was so subtle when you said it, but it's so powerful to hear you talk about it. Can you unpack that a little bit of like the difference between, you know, my, my business partner failed and walked away versus like I created this challenge? Yeah, no question, George. So years ago, I read this book. I think I can't remember who it was by, but I, th- I think it might have been Mark Victor Hansen. I think it, it was called The Millionaire Messenger, and it was a book that you read in two directions. Yep. It's a very, very interesting book where it had kind of a nonfiction and a fiction book together. I don't remember a ton about that book, but I remember on one page they had this graphic, and it was the word responsibility with a line, and underneath it, blame. And it, underneath it said, live above the line. And I remember that I actually have that on my wall now with a couple of other equations that we've created as a company. But that responsibility over blame, I remember when I when I read it, I saw it and it was so confronting. I'm like, no, you can blame, you can still, like you don't have to take responsibility for everything. And it, that was a journey. That was probably a few years of like really working through that and understanding. And, and then I, I remember one day it just clicked. You, you know, as entrepreneurs, Uh, The faster we realize that we are responsible for everything and we can take responsibility for everything, the the faster we start to actually control our our lives, be able to create our destiny, be able to go in the direction that we want. I used to be the same as most people. When I was younger and I I had my business, you know, 9-11 happened about eight weeks before one of our biggest events when I, I owned a huge events company in Latin America. And I remember it happening and having the feelings of like, how could this happen to us? Like how, how insanely selfish and egotistical was the statement, how can 9-11 happen to us? Like as I say it right now, I actually get a kind of sick feeling in my stomach that I ever thought that way. But I remember actually saying it out loud and, and not even feeling like not, not feeling the body reactions and negative feelings you should feel of making a statement that egotistical, which in retrospect shows me just how separated I was from my true self, just how detached I was. And as entrepreneurs, you know, what, what we, we work with our, our members on is, is responsibility over blame. Like how, how do you live in a world where you take responsibility for everything that's going on? And I have people, especially in today's time frame, say things like, oh, well, you can't be responsible for COVID. Sure you can. You can be responsible for your reactions. You can be responsible for how you show up. You can be responsible for what you're going to allow and not allow into your mind. You can be responsible for how you live through this situation. And you know what I always tell people, the bigger the crisis, the bigger the opportunity, there's going to be more self-made billionaires made in this time frame than in any other time frame in the human history. And anyone who wants to argue that, just go look at it already. Mm-hmm. Already. We're, all, we're only six or seven months in. And look at the hundreds of billions of dollars of company value that has been added to the companies that were well-positioned and ready to go forward. And I think for us, that's that's one of the things that, that not for us, for me, that's one of the things that's really shifted for me is that, that now, regardless of what it is, I take responsibility. And I put this on Facebook the other day. One of the observations that finally got through, you know, I, I've learned so much, so much of what I understand in business and so much of what I know about relationships and how to create momentum as an entrepreneur has been observational. Yep. And one of the observations that has become crystal clear over time is that the more successful an entrepreneur, 
the more quickly they turn every obstacle into an opportunity, the more quickly they turn every crisis into an opportunity. I mean, I've been around people that regardless of what's going on, they're just constantly shifting to how is it an opportunity? How is this an opportunity? Most negative thing in their entire lives, how can I create something better out of this? How do I grow from this? How do I move from this? And that, you know, not that I'm 100% there. I I, I don't think, I, I don't know that I ever will be, but I'm so much closer to seeing everything as an opportunity than I ever was before. And so when COVID hit, I actually had somebody text me after one of my lives and they're like, hey man, it sounds like you're cheering the crisis on. I'm like, oh dude, that is not the impression I wanna give. I'm not cheering it on, but I am fully conscious that this is the biggest opportunity a lot of us have had. And we should admit that to ourselves and get ready for it and go out and change the world because the world needs us now more than it ever has. Totally. I th- I think too, and you nailed this. And and oh man, there's so much here. And <laughs> you and I, I think we might have been separated at birth at this point. Um, which <laughs> That's is how so. That phone call felt. Yeah. No. No. It was. It was like. And for those of you wondering, like only like 32 people or so have my phone number, and Alex doesn't give his out. And we had connected years ago and never really talked. And we both realized we both had our numbers in our phones. And which never happens to me ever, which ever happens. And we were like, okay, there's a reason and the timing and everything. And what you said, Alex, uh, it's about the pursuit of turning things into opportunities, not the perfection of what it looks like. And yeah. I think as an entrepreneur for me, you know, cause my ego needs some love at this point in this moment. So I'm going to make a statement, <laughs> you know, because I'm learning so much in this time. But when I think about it for me, one of the things that I really fell in love with after processing the belief around it was that there is no finish line, but it's what I choose to do every day about it. And, you know, there were parts of COVID, like I lost over a million dollars in a contract. I lost two companies and 70 grand a month in MRR in basically like 60 days. Yeah. And I'm like, so on paper, I'm in financially one of the hardest places I've ever been in. And I'm the happiest and clearest I've ever been. And it wasn't an overnight. It was a, I feel like crap, but what am I going to do today? I feel like crap. What am I going to focus on today? And instead of it taking six months or three years or eight years of depression, it took like a week. And it was, I feel this way. I acknowledge how I feel. That's not going to change. What am I going to do about it? And then that created the opportunity for opportunity. Like it created the ability to see the opportunity. Yes. And it's like when we sit in these rooms as entrepreneurs and and consider it a virtual room, a made up room, a metaphorical room, whatever you want to call it. I say this all the time, you know, from breath work and the therapy trauma that I've done and the work that I've done in personal development is like the worst thing you can stay is stuck. We are evolutionary creatures. We are supposed to evolve. We are supposed to move forward. And, you know, I heard this the other day and it's like, you want to know what anxiety is? It's unused energy move. Yeah. And I was like, no doubt whoa, like I've been doing it for years, but it was this simple thing. But then when I think about the compartment of entrepreneurship, what is anxiety? I'm like, it's stagnation in our biggest enemy, which is our brain. It knows our fears. It knows our insecurities. It knows our habits. It knows our addictions. And yet we think we can out convince it that somehow we're going to feel better about it. Where what you talk about is like, okay, this is how I feel. I'm aware this is how I feel. Breath gets you there. Cold therapy gets you there. Movement gets you there okay, if this is how I feel, I have two choices. I can either succumb to this feeling and surrender and die, or I can acknowledge that this feeling is here and I can take a step in a different direction. And it's something that like I've been obsessing about like on a different level of obsession. 
And yeah. it's probably had one of the most profound effects on everything in my life. And, you know, financially the gain will come and it has already, but even outside of that, like the happiness, the joy, and, and I go back to deployments. Like I remember, like, I'll never forget. I hit Somalia. I'm about to cry. I hit Somalia when I was 19 years old. I just turned 20 and I spent 13 months of my life in probably one of the worst places on this planet. And I'll never forget like seeing people wrapped in carpets on the side of the road because they couldn't afford a thrum out and then burning dead by. And I was like, I was like, I'm not a tough guy. I want to go home. I didn't have a home to go to. Like I left trauma to get there. And like, I remember for 13 months, I was like, get me out of here. Like, I can't be here. I don't have it. I didn't have that choice. So luckily I found a few people that mentored me and I found weights and I found, you know, certain therapies and, and things that I could do. But I'm just, I just remembered, like, if I came to any of that, I would have died. Like, I would have yeah. just died. I would have just stopped moving. The whole world crashed and crushed on me, and it wouldn't have gotten me anywhere. And, you know, it took me a long time to be able to talk about some of these things and to process them. And, like, for me, what I struggle with sometimes is that, like, what I saw is, like, 1% of what some of my friends saw. Like, 1%. And I can't even imagine, you know, what that was there. But I think the biggest thing that I always took away from everything, and, and I thank the Marine Corps for this, is, like, I wasn't given the chance to stop. I wasn't. It was like, hey, and, and like we say this, like, oh, they don't want you to feel. No, they do. They totally, totally do, but they don't want you to stop, right? And yeah. it's this thing of like this pursuit for forward and growth and movement as we go. And so, you know, with what you're saying, the one thing that I wanted to hit, um, and this is a really big one, and this is so subtle, but when I did personal development, I was getting coached and they were teaching the distinction versus responsibility, right? Victim versus responsible, victim versus responsible, right? And they really pushed the boundary on the belief of this, right? Like 100% responsible 100% of the time. And it was this interesting thing because we would get in trouble for saying, I take responsibility. And I was like, I don't get it. I'm taking, they're like, you can't take it. You never didn't, you, you, there was no point in which you never had it. There's no point in which you gave it up. And so you, you can't take like it, it back. Yeah. You just feel like yeah. you did. And this distinction, like, it probably took me 10 years to understand because there's so many times in business, right? Or as a consultant or with a student or even in my own business, oh, I'm like, oh, I'll take it. And then I have to be like, oh, wait, no, it was mine the whole time. Yeah. And it's like this embodiment of it that is so powerful, like when we think about it. And so I didn't, I've never, I've never talked about a lot of the stuff that I, I experienced like from a mindset perspective, I don't think I've ever been in the point to like really um, process this. But you know, what I love about you, Alex, and what I, you, you have this childlike curiosity and excitement matched with this tight container of structure that basically guarantees success. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but I appreciate that. I think there's so many lessons. My wife would definitely agree with childlike, by the way. Oh, me too, right? Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm surprised I'm not walking around in diapers as my son's out of them, like, at that <laughs> level of management. Because there's times I feel like that. But, you know, with that, I think what's so important and so powerful from, like, what I noticed with you, it's like when you get self aware, right? So you were talking about. Um, you know, like basically being self-aware, identifying what's here, understanding that we're responsible, understanding that, you know, resistance equals opportunity, depending on how we choose to see it. What I also love about that is that as you do this work on yourself, that awareness gives you a tool to see possibility versus resistance, right? And it yeah. gives you the ability to react or not to react, to respond on a dime and pivot 
because there's no insecurity written into it, right? And yeah. and I think about the times as an entrepreneur where I was stuck and it was stuck because I had a belief that I was supposed to look a certain way or it was supposed to be a certain way, right? And here's the Man. news flash. Entrepreneurship is basically a guaranteed it's not going to look like you think it is every day of every moment for the rest of your life, right? It's a commitment like, to chaos. It's a yeah. commitment to chaos and it, and it's yeah. navigating that. And so in your in your journey, and, and you've been in this game a long time, I mean, you... I don't even remember the specific award that you got, but like single-handedly denting the real estate crash market <laughs> recovery and, you know, building like half a billion dollar businesses. And I'm over here doing it for everybody else but myself and um, you know, self-jab on that one. But Well, you know what, though, George, I've done some of that myself, too. I've, you know, I, I, and, and I just I don't want to I don't want to like leave you on the hook there as a coach, as a consultant. One of the things that I'm now dealing with at 47 is that I've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs build businesses bigger than I have. Yep. And, and I, you know, really like year before last, I sat down with Katie and I'm like, you know what, Katie, I've done this too many times for other people. This time the business plan has to include us doing it for ourselves. That was me this year. Yeah. And this is, this is like my realization really in just like the past 24 to 30 months yep. that like, and, and when the reason we restarted this company from scratch was energetic, not legal or anything else. It was, we wanted to shut everything down and start over. Cause this is going to be different. Yeah. And so July of 2017, Katie and I hit the reset button, shut everything down, went down to no team members, started from zero. And this is the business that we're going to create the success out of that ju is just like we help other people do. Which by the way, is absolutely amazing. I'm I, for those of you listening, if you can't tell, like I've been an Alex fanboy for a long time, but like out of, out of respect, like out of like genuine, pure respect, because there's these things like we, Alex and I joke a lot. We talk about the state of the industry that we're in. We're probably going to unpack that in a little while, but, um, <laughs> you know, like people don't even pretend to be like snakes in the grass anymore. They're like, no, no, no. I don't care if the grass is there or not. I want you to see me. And like, there's these people that walk it and they talk it and they believe it and they do it. And it's congruency. And Alex is one of those people, which I highly admire and respect. And I think it's an important point, Alex, as an entrepreneur. And I don't know about you, but you know, for me, I needed to build it for other people to get those lessons, to have the awareness and understand why I was doing it. To then yeah. be able to come in and be like, oh, I still get to do it and I've healed that part of me that didn't think I was good enough, that I could only do it for other people and also give myself a backdoor out of those daily routines and commitments and structure that would prove my core trauma wrong as a child, that I'm not yeah. good enough because that's really what it is like for me. It, it, for me, it was like, oh, I, it's so easy. I'll go over here. I'll diagnose your problems. I'll give you the things. I'll help you do it. I'll pour all my energy into you. Then you'll like me, and then I'll be good enough. And then yep. at the same time, I'm living on that dopamine and validation while also denying my own sovereignty of that I can do this and I know this. And then the belief system there and the pain that I had to experience was you do deserve this. You can have a bigger impact this way, but you're good enough. And, yeah. and that had to happen in silence. Yeah, you're yeah. worth it, right? Like for me, my core wound is I'm not good enough. And so that's what it was for me on that side. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm having like so many different – like first, I just want you to know this is a very validating conversation. And when you operate at the level that you and I operate as entrepreneurs – or not, maybe not the level, but when you operate at the level of awareness, awareness. that we operate of – you often become, you often get invalidated because other people around you don't even understand the conversation that you're having, nope. you know? And the, I, I think what you just said is so true for, for so much of my career. Now in retrospect, it's only, you see this in retrospect, 
I was not in the pursuit of success for myself because I didn't feel worthy. And I actually felt like the people around me were so much better than I was that I put all my energy into helping those people, all my time into those people. Like I, 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 I helped other people get become far more successful than I was because in so many ways, I still felt like I was, you know, the, the short, you know, Latin American accent, chubby, you know, kid in school that everybody made fun of. And I, I really, you know, I, when I was a child, I, I did not have a lot of friends. I had a really challenging childhood. I, I wasn't good at relationships. And all of that carried forward to the business world to the point where, you know, it made me an incredible consultant because I wanted to help everybody so bad so that I would get validation and be okay and be worthy and like not be that, that kid that I was running away from. And do, oh man, now I'm going to get emotional. And, um, as time went on, what I realized was, and what I am realizing is that I could honor that kid and that I could actually like love that child and, 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 and be okay with who I used to be and understand why I was the way I was and understand everything that I went through. And the more that I was able to process it and, and be aware of it. And the more I was able to let go of the common entrepreneurial belief that, Oh, other people had it worse than I was. You kind of said it earlier. It's like a habit for us. As soon as we claim any type of trauma, we almost have to let out this relief valve of, Oh, well, but it wasn't as bad for, for me, you know, for there was other people who had it much worse totally. and it wasn't that bad for me. And it, but, but I, I, I'm just going to claim a little bit of it. Yep. And the reality is, you know, every entrepreneur I've ever worked with has trauma that needs to be explored and validated and understood so that they can show up in the world the way that they want to. And the excessive reactivity that we carry around with us and, you know, the feelings we carry around with us, you know, George, it's, it's, it's one of the things that drives us into pursuit because you know, here, here's where I am today in my career. I understand that, that the goal is not the goal. The goal is the journey. Yes, it really is. It's the process. It's going through it because here's what I know as an entrepreneur is, you know, I, I have this analogy or theory that we are evolutionary hunters and I, I call it an analogy. But to me, I really do think this is evolutionary fact. We are that small percentage of the population that gets up every morning, can't turn the motor off. It's always running. You know, we can't relax. We don't sit still. And we have this innate motivation to go into the future, create a new reality, come back to the present and then demand it becomes real no matter what we put up with. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is no matter what goal or outcome or whatever it is that we put out there, as we are crossing the finish line, it loses all importance to us. As we're approaching the finish line, we start going, does this really matter? And it's because if you think about, if we're evolutionary hunters, the goal was never the hunt. The hunt just keeps the tribe alive. The goal is you go back on the hunt. Yeah. The goal is you stay hunting. The goal is you keep doing it over and over and over again, and there's food for everybody for, for the whole time that we need it. And so... You know, when I look at it, I, I feel like we are programmed to be in pursuit, but not really finish. And so the the whole goal as entrepreneurs is how do you keep how do you keep creating that future that is compelling enough and bright enough and exciting enough and engaging enough that you do what it takes to put yourself through the crucible of getting there? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. When you said, and by the way, thank you for the accountability on the uh I had it way worse, or they had it way By the worse. Way, I did it twice this week in my own event. Yeah, I, I said I, it, and then I and I even pointed out, like, hey, I just used the release valve. I want everyone to know that that's like an unhealthy behavior yeah. of invalidating yourself. Well, totally. What it is, it's an advocation of sovereignty, and it's basically saying I don't believe in myself enough, or I'm not in my space or power enough to own the fact that this was my truth. 
Yeah. And and what yeah. I'm looking for, and quite frankly, as everybody wants to get into the mind of George, what I'm looking for is for you to, without realizing and like me a little bit more because I experienced that, while also advocating it and doing it in a very subtle, manipulative way. And not in a bad, manipulative way. It happens in our subconscious all the time. Um, yeah. But this is why I love having friends like Alex. We get to talk about these things. Um, <laughs> and, and the real stuff. Yeah, the real stuff. And well, I think what's so important about the real stuff, Alex, is like we talk about this, right? And we, we're talking about like why we did what we did and why we consult and why we still consult. And what I love is looking back is I love my process through all of it. Like I had to do that. I had to learn that. I had to be there. I had to not get that check. They had to not pay me that million dollars. Like I had to have all that happen. And now looking at it too, the other side of it for me is I never understood the consequences of doing it for everybody else. The amount of sacrifices and collateral damage I caused because I wanted everybody else to like me versus everybody else respect me. Yeah. And it was like, I'll go to a dinner. I didn't need to be at that dinner. I'll go to an event. I didn't need to be at that event. I'll go to that meeting. That was not a meeting. Like there were all yeah. these like ego fests that were, you know, validation collection, dopamine collection, causing collateral damage. And the one thing that we swore as entrepreneurs that we were doing it, quote unquote, for, right? Like I'm doing it yeah, for yeah. my family. I'm like, well, now pretty sure my three-year-old son isn't going to be like, daddy, don't go to the zoo with me or don't see me for three days because you go to this meeting because you want these people to like you versus do the work that it's there. And I think, you know, if I could give a gift to any entrepreneur, uh, it's the gift of awareness of the the impact and the consequences, both positive and negative that happen when we do advocate that sovereignty as entrepreneurs. And we, and we get into yeah. that because it took me a long time. And I think it's still a practice, but it's a practice that I I love at this point. Like I kind of love saying no at this point. And they're like, oh, <laughs> they're like, can, can you do no? Well, why? We don't need to. Like, can we have a dinner meeting? I'm like, no, we can have a Zoom meeting. I'm not leaving. Right? Like, yeah. well, you get to the point where saying no actually becomes the dopamine hit because you have, I mean, it, and this takes a while. So yes, I, I, yeah. I want anyone listening not to think that it's going to happen by Monday. But what happens is when you stop abdicating the responsibility you have to create the life you want and you start actually because man george when you were just talking about like going to the meeting and doing this and doing that ah uh, you just described like most of my 30s <laughs> you know if there's if there was an attention getting opportunity i was in that attention getting opportunity with a whole line of of justification for it if there was a time you know and and, and i got tons of opportunities if i could get up on a really important stage with famous people like i was there no matter what and a lot of the time it was for nothing else than the ego hit yep. like really it didn't even really build our business it built notoriety but it was just building an ego hit and you know when i when i look back at so much of of that that need for approval that need for validation that need for confirmation as an entrepreneur when you finally realize that that is so much of the the almost the automatic programming that's running the decisions you're making when you can start backing out of that and rising to a level of intention everything changes yeah. i had this really confronting um meeting with a coach of mine i had this coach a while ago named kirk dando super talented guy and um, Kirk and I became friends. That's why he was working with me. Most of the work that he did was with privately funded companies where he took a percentage and he was like a non-named board member in dozens of companies. And we became friends. So he, he started working with me and we did a few one days and he did a 360 for me and came and interviewed my team. And he was doing the delivery of the 360 and we were in the middle of like talking about my team and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And he said, you know what, Alex? You don't have investors behind you. Let's just cut the BS, man. What's the most important thing in your world? 
And the reason he said you don't have investors behind you is because I had options. Most of his CEOs didn't have yeah. options. He said that. He was like, you have options. Let's talk about this. I said, well, George, that's easy. Or not George. Um, I said, Kirk, that's easy. The most important thing in my world is Katie and my kids. And he goes, great. Let's take five minutes, get your calendar out and get your bank account out. And let's look if you're spending time and spending money on Katie and your kids. And that way we can see if you're congruent and you're, you're the most important thing in your world. And, and I know he could see the blood drain out of my face because at that point it was like getting called to the principal's office. Yep. I remember immediately thinking, oh, there's no way my calendar or my bank account are going to show any type of, of like allegiance or affiliation to my family because – up to and including in the time I was with Kirk, I had been pushing them aside to get all this stuff done. Yeah. And here's what's interesting. That that meeting changed things. I actually went back to my room and, and sat down with Katie and I'm like, Katie, Kirk, Kirk asked me this question that kind of knocked me backwards. And I shared it with her and we talked about it for a long time. And from that point forward, I started shifting and I started saying, you know, I need to, to assign responsibility to the things that are important to me. I need to put more time to the things that are important to me. You know, and, and I, I started building process, structure, and routine around what was important to me. It's structure to spend time with family, structure to make sure I was connected with my daughters, structure to make sure that Katie and I had the time that we needed. Otherwise, everything else just competes and wins. And here's what's interesting, George. By demanding the space and time for myself, by, by making that the most important thing, suddenly my decision-making in business got infinitely better. And almost overnight, we started moving in the right direction rather than kind of like spinning our wheels and not having things happen. And this is the the thing that always like for most people feels like an oxymoron when you first start doing this. I was putting less time in, but getting more results. Mm -hmm. Because when you start throwing up the constraints that are important, you look at time differently and you spend it differently. Mm -hmm. When you start allocating time to where you should be, not what, you know, to, to where you actually when I say should be, when you start actually actually allocating time around what you want your life to look like, your business will shift in a way that it actually gets to be the business that you want. You start building a, an organization that you really want. You start doing the things that you want. And it's interesting today at 47, you know, we, we, like I said, we reset a few years ago, we're around a little, little over 2.1 or 2.2 million in recurring revenue right now. We're building this company completely differently. I'm, I'm absolutely not responsible for delivery. I've built myself out of a lot of the responsibilities. And today, you know, I have a, a business that I, I love working with people that are like incredibly fun people to work with. And I, I'm more focused on people development than anything else right now, because that's where we're going to grow the next, you know, time in, in our business. But what's most important is I wake up every morning, I align with my kids, they hang out with me, they know what we do, they, we talk openly, there's a there's a completely different dialogue in our house. And all of that, I think makes me not think all of that I know makes me the entrepreneur I actually want to be. And it actually allows me to start making decisions for the person I'm becoming instead of the person I'm running away from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for entrepreneurs, you know, I think the, the saying, I've, I've heard the saying say, you know, make the decisions for the person you're becoming, not the person you are. And I'm like, that's not how it works for entrepreneurs. We either make decisions for the person we're becoming or the person we're running away from. Yep. We don't make decisions for the person we are. Nope.
you never get to the place where you're making decisions in the moment because we we don't live in the present. Nope. We're that small percentage of the population that doesn't really even deal well with the present. No, <laughs> no. We, that's why we have to practice breath work. <laughs> right. That's what you know. What I was I did it this morning. I did like like three huge empty breath holds this morning and just like feeling the experience of whether my body was calling for oxygen or my mind and where was it coming from and and how does this make me react during the day and you know I get up from breath work sessions now I lay down on my floor I do a breath work session. I, I actually feel like I'm in the present moment for a period of time. Yeah. It's interesting. You like yeah. get up and you're like, whoa, the world is really intense if you're here, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's why I get up so early in the morning. Like I used to get up at 4.30 for my ego to show everybody I got up at 4.30. Now I get up at 3.30. So, now I get up at 3.30 so nobody knows. <laughs> and like some people think I'm nuts, but I was like, I wake up with my kids at 6 and when I was getting up at 4.35, like – my would get home. My son would be awake. My wife wanted to sleep in, but she would be up. And I was like, am I doing this? I was like, I'm doing this for the wrong reason. Like if I get up at three 30, I get two and a half hours of alone time. I'm home before my son wakes up. I'm done with my writing. I'm completely present for the day. I'm supporting my wife with what she wants based on her job and like her responsibilities. And I was like, yeah, that feels better. Like, and that's like, and like, by the way, I don't listen to music. I don't listen to podcasts. I work out in silence and I'd say five out of six times a week, I'm crying. I'm yelling. I'm looking at myself in the mirror like I'm a silverback gorilla and patting my chest and then crying two minutes later, right? Like I'm processing whatever's coming up in that moment. Um, you know, one of the things – Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not run past that. <laughs> let's not run past that because that what you just said is so crucial. So let me let me tell you how I used to work out. Yeah. So what I would do is – and this is during my 4.30 in the morning taking a picture so I could prove to everybody that I did it. So when I was doing the 4.30 in the morning, prove to everybody that you did it, it was get up at 4.30 in the morning – drink coffee, then wait about 20 or 30 minutes, drink a pre-workout because the coffee wasn't enough. You need to back it up with a pre-workout. Then go into the gym, close the doors. We had a, a gym in our home. We close the doors, put towels under the doors, and then put on like Limp biscuit or something yeah. ridiculous where it's just screaming and raging and yelling, and then get myself into a state where I could lift weights and not feel it. Yeah. So I would get myself into fight or flight and then fight for an hour and a half with my gym. Yep. And it was like going, you know, and, and I, I don't mean to use this term in a, in a way that indicates that I don't understand what it is really like to go to war because I don't want to minimize anything, guys, what guys like you and, and the people that you, you were around did, George. But I feel like I went to my own little private war in the gym every morning. Totally. You know? Totally. And, and, and it, was, it was instead of feeling the feelings and moving through them, it was creating so much noise and so much pain that I could push the feelings away. Yep. And, you know, I, I remember at my my biggest, I look back, it was a, probably like seven or eight years ago, I was about 240 pounds and going on Fox News. And I, I remember like seeing myself in the suit. My shoulders didn't fit in the screen. I, I looked completely inflamed. My neck and my head were kind of one thing. And recently, a person on my team found an old Wistia video <laughs> on me on Fox. And she's like, man, I, I saw Alex on Fox News from a while ago. I'm so glad I worked for this Alex and not that guy yeah. because just watching the video, she could tell like how, how accelerated and how angry and how, how, uh, how detached I was. Totally. And I think so many entrepreneurs think that they're, they're doing this incredible thing, working out and, you know, getting themselves in shape. And then I watch the workouts on, on online and I'm like, man, y y that might not be going in the right direction. Oh, no, workouts for me are a tool like breath and they didn't used to be, yeah. they used to be an escapism for me. Right. And, and trust me, I was doing three days. I taught a world record for a standing box jump. I was a competitive CrossFit athlete. Like my numbers are stupid. 
stupid, yeah. right? I'm five seven. I can dunk. Like there's like it's not mind blowing. And I was also deadlifting like six fifteen, squatting like five eighty five. I weighed one hundred and seventy pounds. Like it was gnarly. Nowhere does that help me be a better human to my family, right? But my ego loved it. Um, yeah. And now, well, and, and it also protected you totally. Oh, it protected like, all everything. of that stuff. Like standing there practicing the jump, box jump, protected you. Oh yeah. And at one point, I, I went from not being a runner to actually going out and winning races in Austin, winning five Ks, ten Ks, like going out and getting first, second, or third place. And if there was a, a Clydesdale division, I always won it. Yeah, yeah. If there was a seven thousand person race. I was first place in Clydesdale. I was two hundred and forty pounds. And I was the first place in Clydesdale because I was willing to do whatever it took. I finished that race and threw up about seven or eight times because yep. I pushed my body so hard. I still got first place. That was all I cared about. Yep. But I look back now and I'm like, dude, you not not only were you not in your body, you weren't in Austin during that no, race. No, no. And that's yeah. that's what it was for me. Like, And you know, when I look back, and this is so applicable to entrepreneurs, like I came from trauma. I never healed that. I joined the Marine Corps. I was rewarded for that trauma and given more tools to run and run really fast from it. And, well, and then given more trauma. And then given more trauma and then came out without doing any of the work. And I remember my wife's like, you know, you should do personal development. I'm like, I read books. That was my answer. Yeah, that didn't go well, right? Fast forward eight years. And there we go. And now we're here. Here we are now. Um, but yeah, I was. And then I had this like really big shift after my son was born where I realized like, I can be in shape if I want. I can look however I want. I can function however I want, but it's also a tool. Like it's an hour and a half a day or two hours a day that if I utilize it correctly, I can do it. And I'll never forget. I was in the jungle with a shaman and, you know, mm -hmm. lots of wise wisdom come from shamans to me. Right. And, uh, you know, one of them was like talking about relationships happening for a reason, season or lifetime. And then, um, you know, then a personal development teacher looked at me one day, scrolling and I said, what are you pretending not to know? which hit me like a ton of bricks, right? And then somebody else was like, what are you trying to avoid feeling? And that was the one that got me. And it was the feeling part, right? And so then I like looked at my day and I was challenged by a shaman. He said, I want you to eliminate any music with lyrics for 30 days. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I would listen to like music, like upbeat music. Like I wasn't into like bitches and hoes, like all that stuff. And, you know, but I would listen to music, but I would listen to music that allowed me to be romantic about who I used to be or pretend mm. that something was going to shift for me by doing nothing. And it was programming my brain into like the stagnation. And I was mm. like, okay, cool. And I remember it was one of the hardest things ever to not have the radio on in the car because what did I have to be present? I had to be with whatever was coming up and then going to the gym. I was like, okay. Right. And I'm like going to lift. And all of a sudden I'm, I lost a hundred pounds on a lift because I didn't have anything to like put me into that sympathetic state. And it was crazy, crazy what happened. And then after a while, like this adoption period, I started to fall in love with it. And then I realized that when I was there, the days that I was present and grounded and I felt like in my body and like emotionally good, I was lifting like crazy. And then there were days that like it hurt to do a warm up, and then I would scream or I would cry or I would laugh or I'd be like, I don't want to be here today. And then I could never walk out the door, but I was literally in the moment experiencing my experience and my feelings and it kind of became therapy for me. Oh, no doubt. And it was one of those things that I was just like, oh my God. And like now it's funny. I go to the gym and I have a private gym. My buddy owns it and they come to class at 530 and I'm wrapping up about 515. And it's funny, they come in and the first thing to do is put music on and I want to leave the moment the music yeah. comes on. And I'm like, I'm yeah. good, I'm complete. And I watch everybody all groggy at 5.15 about to do it. And like, 
I feel like I'm one with the universe at this point. But there was this really, really big distinction for me. And to this day, Alex, the only music that I listen to with lyrics is shamanic music. Like from a shaman, it's about my soul. I sent you a few of them, like recovery, things that make me think about my body, my breath, you know, like breath work, transcendental meditation stuff. Because I realized like we all have 24 hours in a day. And as an entrepreneur, my default is going to be to escape, to disconnect, to compensate sometimes. And so I'm like, how can I stay plugged in? How can I stay yeah. processed? How can I feel that feeling? Instead of what we used to do, which was the opposite, was, man, if I ever plug in, how quickly can I yank it out? How can I yank it out? And then, yeah. or where can I go plug into somebody else's world to avoid mine? Right, right, right. And then it was like, I have more work to do. I have more work to do. I have more work to do. And listen, entrepreneurs, your list will never end. And that's why it's so important. Like when you talk about structure, Alex, structure gives us a container. Because no matter yeah. what we do, we're going to fill it. So if you give yourself a 24-hour container, you're going to find ways to fill it. But if you give yourself a two-hour container, you'll fill it. But you also have to fill it with the stuff that moves the needles, moves the levers, and eliminates the bullshit. And that's yeah. that's been one of those things for me that I think in like what you do. And I think there's this belief, like there's this paradigm around entrepreneurship, right? Like I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. And I was like, yes. And you have to realize that the moment you start being that is you lose the thing that built it and you end up right back where you started. Yeah. Yeah. I love Maxwell's, you know, John, there's a lot of stuff that John Maxwell's put out that I just, that is so, it's just truth. Mm -hmm. And he has this chart of the more, the more leadership responsibility you have, the less freedom you have. Yep. And it's this very confronting belief system that the more responsibility I take on as a leader, the less the less freedom that you actually have. And what you're doing is you're exchanging that freedom for making a massive contribution. And I think that people want to argue that. I have entrepreneurs all the time like want to argue that and debate it. And I always like at the end of the day, if you want to debate it, you can. But the fact is, it's only going to slow you down over time. Mm -hmm. And and man, George, that was intense what you just shared because. I think it's probably seven or eight years ago. It's definitely living in this house. I know because in, in my gym here, I have a huge sound system yep. and I built it so that I could go down into the gym so that I didn't hear anything in the world. I didn't even hear the weights clanking together because the, the sound was so high. Yep. I probably haven't turned that on in six or seven years because now I look at my workouts totally different. My workouts used to be an escape. It used to be like go in, check out get all the stuff done working out with your body and then come out. But really not a lot of recall or recollection of what happened. And a, and a lot of like feeling here, like I did something, but not really connecting to everything that happened in the gym. That's only in retrospect that I see that. It's like you're building because, somebody else's race car. hundred percent. And it, and, and so often it was also like I was doing it to get an outcome that I wasn't even really attached to. Yep. It, it, and let's be honest, a lot of it was building body armor. Yep. A lot of it. Totally. It was, a lot of it was how much, how I wanted to, you know, there was a point in time in my life where I wanted to walk into a room and intimidate everybody. That was, that was, that was actually my desire. Oh, you my mean desire. like the guy over here covered in tattoos that had a blue mohawk right. when you met him? <laughs> right. right? Exactly. Like, like that guy. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Something like that. You know, it was like, I'm never going to be in a place of being in traumatized again by a room. I'm going to walk in and have everyone back at, you know, take a step back. And now, you know, when I go work out, one of the, the best I have for a workout is a dry erase pen. My whole gym is surrounded in mirrors. And there's so often I will be in the middle of a set. And this is like the cardinal sin of working out. You're like almost to the place where you're done. And I'll just drop the weights and go right down everything that just came to me. Yep. Because now it's more important. The realization is more important than finishing the set. A thousand percent. And 
and the belief system, you know, the beliefs that I can work through and the, the processing that I do is so much more important than the weight that I'm lifting. And I remember there was a point in my life where if I had a workout where the next workout I didn't do more, I couldn't deal. Thousand it was percent. demoralizing. Thousand percent. Now I don't even feel it. I'm like, wow, that was a great workout. I lifted half the weights, but look at the whiteboard. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, like even even the point of like stopping a set, like way to diminish seven reps of progress. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. like it, right? It, there's so that, many. It's like, man, I just threw it all away. Yeah, and, and you know the, the like the beliefs that we build when we're in the gym. The last set is where you earn it, or the last rep is where you earn it. So you're always chasing the last rep. Now I'm like, man, I don't want to lose this thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then like really looking at what sets us apart as leaders, right? Because we're, we're when we say entrepreneur, we're talking about leaders. We're talking about the small percentage of the world that's willing to stand in a new belief system. And I love the way that you described like going into the future, but really. You know, when I wrote my personal mission statement for my life, it's to stand with structure in the face of resistance to create possibility. Like that's it. That's 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 what we do. And it's like it's actually the win was when you made a commitment and you kept your word with integrity to get to the gym. You've already won. Everything yeah. at that point is bonus, right? It's strengthening, yeah. it's fortification, it's reflection, it's you know, and like, yeah, if you have thirty pounds to lose and you do one rep, like don't expect a result, but be aware of like what's there. But it's really the intention that we put behind everything. And when you say it, right, you get up the process, you create the structure, and you commit to the routine. And that's – it's the combination of those things that that is the win. And you – I mean I'm the same way except for me right now. I realized you know, in the last couple of years I fell out of love with myself again like at a, at a deep, deep, deep level. And I was looking at it and I was working out crazy before lockdown and I was like, okay, cool. And I was like I'm posting videos every day and I was like looking back – went into lockdown and I didn't have a gym. We went up to the mountains and I was like, man, I really don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. And I literally was like, why? And I was like, because I can't, because I don't like why I'm doing it. And I don't know why I want to. And Mm. I gained a lot of weight again. And I fell in love with my dad bod, but I gained a dad bod first. Right. And then I looked at it and then I was playing with my son and I'm up here and I'm like, you know, this isn't what I want. And I was like, why? And I was like, I somehow fell out of love with myself or this was an opportunity where I hadn't fully loved myself yet. Like I hadn't loved where I was versus the guy with the big muscles or the tattoos or could do this weight. So it was really interesting because I started working out again and it feels different. It feels different. And then all of a sudden I want to get up earlier and it felt different and my workouts are very different. It felt different. And I'm not humble bragging like I just enjoy the process, but what's really interesting, Alex, is I went through this point and I always wear like cut off shirts, but I won't take my shirt off. I still was struggling with self-consciousness and everything else. And then this, then I'm going to cry, but like 35 days ago, I went to the gym one morning and I was like, I'm not working out with a shirt on. I get to look at myself every moment of every rep every day. And every time I look in the mirror, I just get to tell myself I love myself. And it's really interesting because I started this challenge with my with my business partner to lose weight, right? Like I was like, okay, I'm 210. My fighting weight's like 175. I want to be back there. 55 days of eating macros that haven't felt hard, eating clean, going to the gym twice a day. I literally have not lost one pound. <laughs> but my pants are down. My body is different. My mindset is different. I'm sleeping good. My endurance is up. I'm setting PRs across the world. And all I did was took my shirt off at the gym every morning by myself. And I look in the mirror 
every single rep. And I lean over and I'm like, oh, remember when it was bigger and you had stretch marks? Look at where you come from. Like, look at that. Like, look at the story that leg tells. Look at that scar. Like, I literally am in the process as we speak of falling in love with myself again through my workouts. And it's yeah. as simple as taking my shirt off at the gym alone, which, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I was, well, I was bulimic for 15 years. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, I was. Did you have body dysmorphia during oh that time? Oh, my God. <laughs> Alex, when I was in Afghanistan, I had a, I had an eight pack and I was purging in porta potties on deployment of all Jesus. places, like where I should probably be pretty healthy. <laughs> yeah. Like orthorexic, body dysmorphic. And I would look at myself. And I look back now, I have all the photos. It's mind-blowing. I was probably 5 to 6% body fat. I had veins in my lower abs. Veins. Yeah. And at yeah. that time, all I saw was fat. All I saw was – yeah, it was mind-blowing. I don't think that – so I've, 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 had, um, I've had severe body dysmorphia my whole life. Yeah. Um, so much so that like, I know that it's there because there's been more than one time where I'm in a gym. So one of the, one of the, one of the, the, the programs that runs in my brain when I walk into a gym that comes from my childhood is I walk into a gym, if it's a public gym or at a hotel or something, and I identify the person who's bigger or in better shape than me so that I can suck. Yep. Like, and it's, it's an automatic program. I don't even know I'm doing it, but I, that I almost immediately have identified whoever's in, whoever's ahead of me. And I remember um, years ago being in a gym and going, oh, man, that's the guy today. And it was me. I, I was seeing myself in the reflection of two or three mirrors where my head was cut off, but I could see the body. And here's how profound body dysmorphia is. As soon as I shifted so I could see my head, I looked like a fat guy again. Totally. It was – and it like I in that moment, I remember thinking, hold up, that's how severe it is. No wonder everybody keeps telling me this stuff. And so – Man, I'm I'm 47 and I still deal with it mm -hmm. sometimes. Still, still. Like sometimes I'll catch an uh, an image out of the corner of my eye of a mirror and I'll think like, oh man, you are so huge. <laughs> like you know, you look like crap today. And and there's this almost automatic thing that 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 is there that is like it's a rejection of self. Yeah. It's and it's a complete rejection of self. And now in in my adulthood now I understand that that was because. I, I experienced so much trauma that I didn't admit. I didn't realize. I didn't work through. I didn't process. I didn't didn't understand it. And George, um, you know, I, I when I was younger, I, I definitely did some binging and purging when I was really overweight as a kid. Mm -hmm. I would come home and eat everything and then throw up. I never really dealt with or um, believe me, long term. But I did have some, several periods of my life where I was anorexic, yeah. where I would get up and eat like 600 calories a day and do everything I could the right way. And when you start doing that, you get into this, this pattern where now the body takes on fat because you're not getting enough calories. So then, you know, I, I got into that loop where yeah. no matter what you're in the wrong place. And at the end of my twenties, I was about 300 pounds. I was on five prescription drugs about to be given a sixth just to deal with the side effects of the first five. And it was, it was completely and totally self-inflicted. Yeah. I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever publicly shared that stuff. It's it's hard to talk about, especially as a guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean I, I went public when I ran the paleo company about my bulimia because it was a part of my healing and my process. And uh I got connected to the fact that like fifty three percent of people with eating disorders are men, but it's not talked about. It's not Yeah, I, we don't talk about it at and all. And so like you don't you don't really know. And I was like, but you know, for me as a as a man, but as an entrepreneur it was just one pillar of the same conversation. It was an advocation of self-love. It was dis-self-respect, right? And it was, uh, 
no matter what, I'm not good enough. And so, you know, when we think about it, you know, one of the big distinctions in personal development is there are no compartments, right? We like to think that there are, right? Like I'm a badass, I'm a badass (laughs) at the gym and and that means that, uh, I'm only bad in business. No. Right. Or I'm so good in my work, but I'm bad in my, no, it's across the board, right? Like it's, yeah, it's how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so for me, like what I find is that rather than trying to make it look a certain way, is wherever the avenue is right now in my life that's calling me for growth, and right now it's my fitness and the alone time in gym, is I give it my all from that same place of self-love, and that rising tide permeates through everything that I do. And so it's like I use the gym as my my vessel for better systems, clear communication, self-acceptance, self-love, and somehow my team's like, God, these podcasts are great, and like really love how you made me feel, and the way that you had that call the other day, like I felt so seen and respected, and I was like... Gotta love those weights at 3.45 in the morning as I'm crying through my last set. <laughs> and it's half the weight that I've ever lifted in my life. I'm like, I'm so weak. I love myself. I'm so strong. <laughs> and I push through and create possibility. But I think it's I think it's really powerful. And you know, and I love that we're having this conversation, Alex, because you know, one of the things that I come up against, and people say this to me all the time, it's like, God, when you say this stuff, like it writes me this permission slip. I think one of my biggest challenges in the world that we live in is it glorifies disconnection and nobody bridges the conversations to the real stuff. Like, dude, amen. And yeah. Amen. In fact, you know, man, I'm going to probably get in trouble for this, but I think the majority of the personal development industry is avoidance. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at so much of, of what personal development tells us, like, and I don't want to name any names, but it's going to probably be obvious, like some of the people I'm talking about. But, you know, when when you're in a situation where you're having a reaction, when there's an emotional reaction, somebody's standing next to you and saying, hey, change your state. This is no, you know, let it go. You just look, focus on something. what you're really doing is you're denying the feelings you're experiencing yet again yep. for another point in time in your life. Now you're just denying them to the power of 100 because there's this other human being telling you it's OK. Yep. And now now they're giving you frameworks that allow you to back away from and deny what you're actually experiencing and just pretend like you can somehow go into the opposite direction permanently without dealing with what just happened. Yep. And you know, there's there's this, this atmosphere in so much personal development of toxic positivity and bypassing. Yep. You know, this this spiritual like, hey, think positive, it's gonna be okay. You're not looking at the right things, you know, you need to go this way, change your state. And uh, all of that language drives me crazy because what we really need to hear is, hey, let's let's stop for a second. That feeling you were feeling, where's it coming from? What's the background? You know, what what what's the origin of it? How did when when's the first time you ever felt that way? And here's one of the most important questions. Where do you feel that in your body? Exactly. You know, George, this week it was really interesting. We had this three-day event. And on the third day, we separate out only the most successful companies that are in our, our world, um, the people who are in our accelerator and grow and scale programs. They're all well, they're all seven-figure organizations. They're all building teams. They're all, you know, we're moving in that place of leadership. And one of our members actually shared that he doesn't really feel like he has feelings. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't, he's like, I don't, I don't feel feelings. I just my wife tells me I don't feel them. Everybody around me tells me I don't feel them. So I we introduced him to Pia Melody, who's one of my like therapy heroes. Yep. She's her amazing. books are amazing. Amazing. And the game CD that's free on YouTube should be a five thousand dollar. You know, if 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 it if she was alive today, everything she sells would be forty nine ninety seven, but now it's free because not alive. If she was like getting her career started today, I think yeah. she's still alive in the meadows in Dallas. But everything that should be sold for thousands of dollars is now given away free because people end up going to her clinic. 
And overnight, he listened to the shame CD. And it's the CD where she talks about your feelings are reflected in your body. You know, you interpret what's going on in your body. If you're feeling it in your, you know, if you're feeling like your feet are stuck to the ground, there's guilt and shame. If you're feeling it in your, your abdomen in this area, it's, there's, there's a resentment, there's an anger issue. You know, you start being able to kind of use your body as a roadmap. And it was interesting. Overnight, he listened to her CD, came back the next day talking about it. And he's, he was like, yeah, you know what? I listened to that CD and I, I totally have feelings. I didn't think I did. But now that I listen to P and Melody, I know that I absolutely do. And it it shifted his outlook like overnight so that we can start to, to use our bodies as interpretation. You know, you, you mentioned the entrepreneurial personality type earlier. I didn't realize how deep the definition I chose for the EPT was when I wrote this book years ago. But it's we are physiologically sensitive, momentum-based beings that are highly reactive to constraint. That physiologically sensitive that is where our feelings really are. If you can slow down and say, wait, where is this? Where am I feeling this in my body? How is this actually landing? How, do, how does it make me feel? That's where we make this massive shift and really have realizations about one. Yeah. And so funny when I hear you talk, I'm like, EMDR, I love it. I love it. I was like, that's when I had those questions. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that mine, Alex, was when I got out of the military, I told everybody I couldn't feel I was numb. I couldn't feel yeah. I was numb. And then it's actually yeah. one of my business partners, Stefano Safandos, looked me dead in the eye and he's like, numb is a feeling. Yeah. And it like it was just enough of a, a paradigm like challenge or a pattern interrupt that I was like, wait, what? Whoa. It was enough of a cold, cold glass of water. Yeah, in the face. yeah. Like, and you're like, like, wait, it is. It is, right? And like getting into those things. But I think that that's a lot of it. And Alex, I think what's so important about that is like, I believe in state changes when they're permanent. I believe in, you know, committing to a new action. But if, if you don't, you're basically getting behind the driver's seat blindfolded and expecting to make it to the finish line without crashing. Like you yeah. have to know what got you there, where it's coming from. And we store so much of our trauma and our fears in our actual physical body. And, and I started to understand this as a guy with brain injury and traumatic brain injury. And I've done stem cell therapy and I've done everything you can imagine, including EMDR. And it's somehow miraculous that as I was beating my opiate addiction and doing EMDR, that the pain that I experienced most of my life disappeared when I no longer had charges around the emotions. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's so hard to break down what you just said, but <laughs> <laughs> that might be a whole nother, like you need to come spend three days with us in person to get two day seminar, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think one of the things is, is like we, we are training, like no matter what we do, we're training ourselves, we're training yeah. ourselves. And like when we're in the world of business and entrepreneurship, pick it right. Or in the world of life, oh, my ad account gets shut down. Well, in that moment, we have a trigger, we have a charge, we have a reaction, right? And if the first thing we do is dive head in first into it without seeing where it came from, why it triggered us in the first place, boom, boom, boom. We don't just create it again, we create it worse. Yeah. And then it continues. And like the way that my wife said it to me, she's like, the universe is going to keep kicking you in the nuts until you can't have kids anymore, was basically what she said to me. <laughs> and she's like, or you can realize that it only has to kick you once and just let it hurt, learn the lesson, and then it goes away. Yeah. And it was a, this really profound concept for me. But I think, you know, Alex, why I love what you do. And, and by the way, the first talk I ever heard you gave was on the EPT, the entrepreneurial type. I heard you give a talk somewhere, and that's when I became – I figured out who you were. And I think it was like 2017. Um, 
right around when you guys relaunched the company. I have no idea where it was. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, so we're screwed at that point. Um, but it was good. Serendipitously, we ended up here, which is amazing. Um, but I think one of the things that I've wanted to normalize and never – so two two things for me. I've wanted to normalize the conversation of authenticity, right? Yeah. And Well, the real conversation. The real conversation of authenticity. Not the, not the, not the authenticity. Well, you, if, if anybody's listening, I'm like making air, air quotes, quotes yeah. the word authenticity because what authenticity has become is – Making up a story that makes you sound authentic. Totally. I, the way right. that I say it is if you have to say you're being authentic, you're not. You, you lost. Yeah, right. Um, but like real authenticity. And, you know, it took me eight years to get here because I went through the caveman company. And I remember I was giving a keynote on the three ways to use food to create breakthrough habits in your life. My wife's like, yeah, but you can't go give that keynote and lie. And I knew what she meant. And so I had to start that keynote with I've been lying to you. For three years, mm. I've been a paleo food blogger talking about loving yourself, and I've been bulimic because I was sexually abused. I gave that at an opening keynote at Paleo Effects, Alex. Jeez. And I had every fear in the world. They're going to leave. I'm going to lose my friends, and the most amazing thing happened. And he went standing, sat down. Rob was in the audience. Melissa was in the audience. Terry Walls was in the audience. And I was like, oh, here we go. And like, well, this is George, right? And it just started this whole thing. And then I even branded unapologetically authentic because I wanted to practice it. Wait, I want to stop you. What happened when you gave the speech? How long was the standing ovation? Um, it didn't really stop. Yeah. Uh, and it, then people were coming up to you and talking it to you. Changed, like, it changed my life. Changed my life. Yeah. It, and it was – it was a culmination of a lot of events because at this point I'd already been a New York Times bestseller, right? Yeah. And I'd been this paleo food blogger, one of the top blogs. Everyone's like, God, this guy gets it. He was this Marine. He was this badass. And I was like, and you guys have no idea that I've been purging every day when I post those recipes. And here's why. And so, yeah, yeah it, was, it was one of those things where it was the first – for me, it was the first door opening into accepting my sovereignty. It was the first yeah. door and it was the first step because it was really breaking down fears, beliefs. And, and that's when I was dealing with relationship trauma that I caused due to my lack of congruency and my lack of integrity with like how I was working and how I was living. And so I've been on this pursuit of like authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. And then there became this point where authenticity became my new hiding spot. Yeah. And <laughs> that is so well said. That is so that describes so many thought leaders today. Yeah. So well said. And then I realized that authenticity was my new survival tool because I could be authentic to the point where I could keep you where I wanted you without you ever getting to my heart. Yeah. And that was the new game. And that That's so intense. That was the game until a year ago. And that is so intense. And it was the break. Remember I told you about that break. It was when I had to walk away from caveman consulting was doing great, but my relationship was on the rocks. I was a horrible, I wasn't, I was being a horrible father, horrible relationship with myself. And I had to really unplug and start going deep into breath, into shamanic journeys, into some plant medicine. And I walked away from social media for, you know, a year and a half. I changed my phone number. I, I don't want to say I cut out the relationships. I honored myself for the first time as was willing to be myself without relationships yeah. And then it was on the other side of that that I was like, holy shit. And I realized how protective I was still, but my new armor was authenticity. And so I'd worked on everything and I was like, what's the armor that nobody can see as armor? And I had this thing in my life as an entrepreneur and a human that if I hid in plain sight, nobody could catch me. Right. So I'm in the Marine Corps. I'm bulimic and an addict, but yet I'm running a perfect 
physical fitness test, a perfect combat fitness test. I'm a Marine Corps martial arts instructor. I'm a rescue swimmer, and I have the highest marks ever, so nobody's ever going to ask me a question or realize I'm abusing opiates, right? And I was like, oh, I'm bulimic. Well, if I'm a paleo food blogger with a number one app, a 22-week New York Times bestselling cookbook, who the hell is going to question my eating disorder? Nobody. That became authenticity for me. I've never talked about this ever until this current moment. Ever. And it's so intense that you're talking about it, George, because we've all, I mean, I think anybody who's been in the public eye or who's been in that place has done stuff like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know there's definitely times, there's there actually a point in my career where we were showing other businesses how to grow, but I was doing do as I say, not as I do. I was doing, there was stuff that I was showing other businesses that I wasn't actually putting into my own life and business. There was stuff I was coaching entrepreneurs to do that I was kind of half-assing myself. And so many of us have been in that place where, and and honestly, George, what you just described, I think is kind of the behind the scenes of so many people who go out to help other people. We're out there, you know, helping other people in the help that we need the most. Mm -hmm. And we're out there making the, the difference for other people and the difference that we really just need to turn towards ourselves. And so for me, there was this massive growth period. It's funny how you described that because I also, you know, got really deeper into therapy, um, tried some some psychedelic medicines, not just plant medicine, yep. but I, I did a, did some other stuff, both clinically and outside of um, a clinical environment uh, in a protected environment, yeah. but um, very. Protected I'll add a disclaimer to the intro of this one. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And. Um, and I realized was. I spent most of my career trying to help uh, man i'm getting super emotional over this i'm i'm at the brink at this point right now yeah no kidding um so i spent most of my career trying to help other people with the struggles that i was experiencing and still had not helped myself yep. and there was some broken equation in my mind that the more i helped other people eventually it would come around to me yep. and a few years ago i remember like the, this transitionary period, it wasn't a day, it wasn't a moment, it wasn't a time, it was a period where I started like actually putting the time into myself and I started taking my own advice. I started doing the things that I told other people to do. I actually started something that was profound. I stopped telling anyone to do anything I wasn't doing. My- mm-hmm. And if I found myself in a situation where I was like, oh, here's what you need to do, I doubled down and made 100% certain that I was doing it first, and then I went back and told that person. And that has been the most profound shift in my life because I can't hide from that. Yeah. Hence why I write. A, hence why I write a daily email now. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know what? I, I don't write the daily email. I have I have a different practice. Well, I that's my I, that's my outlet. That was one of that's them. Yours. Yeah. That that's was yours. one of them. Mine is mine is getting up and and every day going through our system, going through the system that I encourage other entrepreneurs to go through, and and making it so that it counts. And here's what's so so fascinating. The results that we get today with other people are so off the charts compared to anything that I've ever been able to produce in my life. And they are so different and so profound and so real. They're not temporary, they're not elusive. Like people are actually out and changing massive things in their lives. And I absolutely believe it's because now I don't just have the knowledge and the understanding of what should be happening. Whew, shit, I'm, this is hard to say. There, but there's a tear running down my cheek as we speak because Alex <laughs> is speaking to my current situation. <laughs> right. Well, and and George, you know, here's 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 what actually happened. I realized that energetically, 
energetically is, is energy changes everything. It's the energy behind what you're saying. It's the, it's the energy behind what you're doing. And now when I walk out on a stage or when I'm in front of other people or when I have an opportunity like I did this week with our members in our, in our virtual event we did this week, when I say like, this is how you should be doing this and this is how it works, I'm saying it from a place of, of not, not just authenticity, but actual function process driven congruency. And people hear it now and they're like, oh, okay, well, I'll do that. I don't, I don't argue with people anymore. I don't have to sell people or persuade them anymore. I share my personal experience and I literally can watch them shifting in the moment and saying, this is what I'm gonna do now. This is how it's gonna work now. And it's because it's coming from a place of actually having done it, not experimenting with other people, which is what, what I think a lot of consultants and coaches and thought leaders, and that's what we're out there doing until we make this shift. And I'm in the middle of this shift and, and I'll share <laughs> something else that I've never shared because it's coming up as we speak. I'm in the part of the transition where I'm actually believing that what I know and what I do can be made into a process and as good enough as it is without the compensation. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. And that's, that's that where I am. such a real place in the process, George, dude. They, when you, so you're, you're going through that as we speak. As we speak. Yeah. As we speak. Like I have my models. I have my processes that were all built learning the game on other people's businesses, right? And I've joked that I got to play Monopoly with other people's money. And luckily I was good at Monopoly. Like that, yeah. that was the joke that I make. And I mean that. Like I, I was so afraid of letting people down that I never lost. But at the same time, yeah. I did it at the sacrifice of myself. Yeah, when you just said, uh, I was so afraid of letting people down, all I heard was how much of a sacrifice it is to you. Yeah, yeah it was. Because what that really means is it, it's at all costs. All, it was, it was at all, I mean, I'm, I'm tearing. It was at all costs. Like, same here. And man. there's still ramifications from two, three years ago that creep in today because yeah. of how deep those costs were. Yeah. And oh man, there's ramifications from 20 years ago for me. Totally. You know, I'll, I'll see or I'll talk to somebody that I knew as my former self or in that life, and they still react to me like I was back then. And I can feel it. I can feel how I was through their reactions, through how they speak to me, through how we just connect. Yeah. And I think to myself, man, how, how, how did I survive that? That you know, I'm so uncomfortable in the in the present day interaction that I know was completely driven by me and who I was in the past. And you feel that, and it's it, it's this it's like it's like punch every time, every time, every time. And and what it does for me is it it drives me to be more committed and more grounded and more in a place where I won't share anything that I'm not doing myself. And you know. I, I always joke about the person in the room who who is is always the one that will most freely give advice and and is the most enthusiastic of their about their advice is usually the one who knows the most and has experienced sorry who knows the least and has experienced the least because there's no responsibility to the advice they give. Now, given given what I've been through and and kind of making that shift through focusing on others to make myself happy, then learning that the only way to really do it was focusing self then taking that out to others, that has really been the most profound learning experience. It's one of those that that it's not like I'm done. I mean, I don't even know if I'm 5% of the way there. I just know that like that that realization in itself shifted everything in my world. I tell everybody I'm 4% of the game of 100 at this point. Like that's, <laughs> right. that's where I am. Right. And, and That's what it feels like. And to say that though with excitement and humility is powerful as shit. 
Yeah, no kidding. Because three years ago, if you saw that last keynote I gave, I gave plenty of advice. That worked, but it was not from a place of I'm doing this myself. It's I know this works, but I want you to like me. Then I want you to come back. I want you to say it. And I think it's important that everybody hears this, that there's nothing wrong with that. It's a part of the process. That was my process. That was my awareness. And I'm very aware of it now. Um, but it's just like this week I've been meditating a lot on like what I'm getting ready to come into and open up again. And I haven't knee jerked and opened. I'm getting really clear. And I was like, man, like, no, I really do know this stuff. Like, this is so important. And the value and the simplicity versus the complexity. Yeah. And that's, what's really interesting. When you start doing it for yourself, you realize how much you can simplify everything, 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 everything. everything. And you realize how much noise you can suck out of the environment overnight. So yeah, oh man, I did not know that this podcast was going to go in this direction. <laughs> I think, I think pretty much we, we, I think we've been going for about an hour and 30 minutes. I would say probably 85 of the 90 minutes is stuff I've talked about nowhere else ever in my life yeah. and <laughs> except for the therapist. And that's, and that's, I think, and you know what, Alex, like my whole thing is like in the best way possible, I want to write permission slips for entrepreneurs to be themselves. Yeah. And there's too much of be a certain way you have to make it look a certain way like my favorite part like you get into a room and and like when you come to one of the masterminds in person which i can't wait you know like my favorite one is someone's like how are we doing this morning i'm like i feel like shit like wait that's not what i expect i'm like no it's the truth like doesn't mean we're not going to have an amazing day but like i couldn't deal with another circle jerk at another event of like i'm great or like how's your business it's amazing and i was like oh yeah is that why you can't pay a credit card bill like no like authenticity, awareness, and clarity are really, really what's supposed to be there. And like, I don't believe you're quote unquote one funnel away. I believe you're a a lot of work away and the 167 iterations of that funnel away and the three months of audience research away. But like, I just recorded a pair of videos said, and, and like, I love a lot of what's taught, but I also don't like misguided beliefs and like rah 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 happy systems. And I was like, you're one funnel away from being exactly where you were three months ago with less time, money, and energy. And with a funnel. With a funnel. <laughs> Let's get real. And, and, and no, you, you, you can't be one week ahead of your clients and be authentic and be, be real. And no, there's a lot of, like, I agree. There's a lot of stuff out there that, that attitudes and the things that were taught as mantras. Mm-hmm. Are, are, are holding us down in so many different cases. Yeah, I went through something the other day because I still love funnel hacking things, quote unquote funnel hacking things. Like I just want to see how bad people's business really is. I had 11 upsells, 11, 11. And I took every one of them. I was like, let me see how deep this rabbit hole goes. <laughs> wow. And then I was like, I can't even email these people. Like I can't even. I was like, oh man, I just pray for them. Like I'm just going to pray for them at this point. But I I think, you know, Alex, like we talked about this, you know, there's this, there's these stages of entrepreneurship. You put them into your billionaire code, which by the way, if you guys aren't familiar, go to charfin.com or I think it's billionairecode.com, right? Yeah. Billionairecode.com. Check this thing out. It's, it's legit, you know, 25 plus years of experience put into an image that you can meditate on for weeks at a time and still not understand everything that's in there. But that's a good thing to unpack. And when I, when I think about that, of like the phases and the stages, I think all of them require us as leaders to write permission slips for people through our actions and through our being that like it's okay to be a human in this process. 
Yep. It's okay to have fears, to have emotions. Like I was talking to my team yesterday. Tyler's at the house right now. He's up. And like, I was crying about where I want to go. And he's like, what do you want your day to look like when we're doing 10 million a year? Cause we're right around where you are as the rebuild of this. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh, my only answer was I want to spend more time with more people in person. That was it. That's all I could come up with. Like, and it filled my heart in the same moment. And then I looked at my current day and I'm like, that's not my day, but that's where I'm going. Right. And, yeah. it, and it's humbling. And then I cried because then I had this stark realization that I sit here and I say, I'm doing this for people. I'm doing this for people. But yet the more I quote unquote do, the less time I spend with people. And these levels. Isn't that interesting? These le- it's like yeah. you, 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 you actually have to, to stop yourself sometime and say, and you know, what you just mentioned is kind of like the perfect day exercise. Yeah. Oh, I did this with Clay. Clay Hebert did this to me at my event in front of everybody. Okay. 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 So Clay did it, did it first from a from a video on YouTube by Frank Kern. Okay. By the got way, it. Pretty much the only thing I've ever watched from Frank Kern. Not that I truly dislike him, but I interacted with Frank Kern during his Viking hat wearing, tequila shot taking, like drunk on stage days, and I, I like I never was able to get over it because I was actually in person with him back then. Yep. And he was such a challenging presence that I never went back to that well. But the perfect day exercise that he has on YouTube is intense. And three or four years ago, I started doing it. I started sitting down every six months and writing out my perfect day. And you know what's weird, George? If you do that exercise, I'm convinced that it manifests something in your life because you'll end up at that perfect day way faster than you thought you would. Yeah. And what's interesting is you're not asking for enough. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. First time, I mean, I remember doing it and then about six months later going, I wonder what that thing said. I'm going to pull it out. I hadn't looked at it. Hadn't really planned anything around it. Didn't create process around it, but somehow I had created that day and I looked at my calendar and I'm like, wow, I'm getting up and I'm hanging out with my kids. I've got calls that I want to be on. I'm doing podcasts. This is not my perfect day, but it's six months ago. Yeah. It's exactly. exactly what I said I wanted to do, you know, and I've got time with my wife. I've got, so, okay, now it's time to demand more from the universe. Like, what am I going to write on this perfect day? And I've continued to do that over and over and over again. And it's interesting. You know, I think as entrepreneurs, we spend so much time in the future mm-hmm. that if we will just clarify one day, it becomes so much easier to see what you really want. A thousand percent. You know, Jim, our buddy, Jim Quick talks about, right? Like he always says, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them, right? But what he always talks about on the other side is like, we're programming the supercomputer that runs our day. Yeah. And the moment you look at it and you give it a program, somehow, magically, it quote unquote manifests in your life, yeah, right? exactly. I.e., you just program the thing to get it done. Yeah, Clay came to one of our events and he had me do the perfect calendar exercise in front of my entire room. And so my perfect day, week, month, and year. And holy moly, I didn't even like hard implement it after, even though I broke my word to him and I promised my would, but I owned that. Um, how much of it is true at this current day? And now yeah. what's funny is I'm, I can tell I'm due for a new one because it, there's been a point for the last couple of days where I'm like, I'm done, quote unquote, with what I have to get done, but I felt lost. And I was like, oh, what's missing? There's something missing in my tank. Is it me time? Is it family time? Is it reflective time? But I think what you're talking about is so imperative. It's like, you remember when, you know, before we had Google Maps and Apple Maps and everything, right? Like you would either use a physical map or if you had the internet, you would print out MapQuest, right? But no uh-huh. matter. Or, yeah, you'd have to have a Thompson's guy yeah. or, or MapQuest. Exactly. But no matter what, no point did we memorize all 37 steps. We yeah. looked at it, we took the first three, four, then we came back and we measured what worked, what didn't work, did I make the right time, right turn, am I on track, and then we audited it again. 
And I think in entrepreneurship, that's a lost art of coming back in and checking in, right? Acknowledging progress, seeing where we've come from. Like you just said, plugging into the moment, right? Which is why we talk so much about breath work and cold therapy and everything else. (laughs) <laughs> like it's a yeah, it, it's because a, it, at 32 degrees you are in the moment maybe. i will tell you right now like everyone's <laughs> like man i was like let me be clear i fucking hate the cold i hate it i am a snowflake that wants a heater and i was like but what i love is after the 90 seconds where i want to quit at every ounce of my body being in soul then i now have the ability to sit through it and then the fact that if i do anything except breathe i freeze and I hate being cold so much that I breathe to stay present. And it is the most tightest container of forced meditation in my life. Yeah. That's why I do it. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, because I'm stubborn. You can knock – like someone can get punched in the face by Mike Tyson once and learn a lesson. Like I'm going to have to be comatose and missing every teeth based on my life experiences. And I was like, cold therapy, it does it in literally three seconds. And yeah, it, what most what most people don't understand is that cold therapy is it's a meditation. That's it. It's a meditation. Yeah. You know, for those of us when whenever somebody says, Oh, well, I can't meditate, I got a secret for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, and then and then when they're done, they're like, Hey, you know what? I am really good at that meditation. I'll do it tomorrow. Don't worry. I don't need to come over and get in your ice bath. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can meditate without that. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, Alex, like I think about these things, and there's so many things that like just even in this conversation already are a testament to what you do and how you do it, right? But they're wrapped. And I I invite everybody to listen to this again and really take the time to listen to it with a piece of paper and a notepad and write down whatever comes to you because there are so many undertoes to everything that's here that quote unquote might not have pretty wrapping paper, but the undertoes are here and they're solid. And one of the things that you talk about, right? And you've said this quite a few times, you're like, we as entrepreneurs, will you give me your famous quote about how we like to go out into the future again? So, so entrepreneurs are that small percentage of the population that goes out into the future, creates a new reality, comes back to the present, and demands it becomes real and put ups with, puts up with whatever we need to in order to make that happen. I love that. So that part I love, and that's the destination we're going. And this is what I challenge people. And I say this, I sound like a broker record. I hope I'm annoying the shit out of you at this point for anybody <laughs> who's heard this more than seven times. You plug that destination to Google Maps, that's amazing. But if you hit go without a starting line, it can't go anywhere. Yeah. And Alex has said this probably 10 times already. You have to plug into the moment, agnostic of fault, blame, guilt, or shame, to see where you are to know how to put that first waypoint in. No doubt. That. And what I will say as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as leaders – What prevented me for most of my life from getting into that spot was holding on to fault, blame, guilt, or shame. Yeah. It was ego. Ego. All day. The protection of the ego. It was all ego. All day. And so when we talk about what can you do or like I'm feeling anxious. Like I just did a podcast with Stephanos on this and I was like, hey, man. And I know him. So I know like you know how to trigger the thoughts with his sexy Australian accent when he yells at you and it feels soft because he has that accent. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And I'm like, and they can, they're the only ones that can cuss and it's attractive, right? Like, I don't get it. I I really don't. New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, I I don't get it. I don't get it. And I was like, so, you know, man, like I get it and I'm feeling this. What do I do? And he's like, sit with it longer. And I was like, oh, you mean I don't state change, avoid it, clap my hands with oversized fingers and pretend it goes away? And he's like, no. Yeah, sit with it longer. 
and I love I love said person and I, definitely changing awareness. But there's a point of it where the buffalo is the smartest, intelligent, most intelligent animal in the middle of Yellowstone. When there's a storm coming, they head directly towards it, and they, they realize it. it's the fastest way through. And I think as entrepreneurs, the reason that this is so important, Alex does this, I do this. This is not a game that's supposed to be played alone. This is not a game that is a solo quest. There is no way to win this with I. It's about me. And it's having a group of people, a community of people that know themselves and are loving you from a place of loving themselves that will hold you and allow you to be in this process. Because if somebody hands you a fish, you're going to be hungry in a week. But if they bring you in a container and a community and you align with people, and I mean align with people, like I'm going to soapbox for a second, but get the fuck away from people that make you feel icky. If you have to give your soul from people that make you feel like you can't be yourself, like you can't be yourself, you're you're around a group of people where you have to send your representative. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your alter ego. You're in the wrong group. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like Alex and I have actually had some conversations where he's like, that's a limiting belief. I'm like, no, it's not. And then I was like, (laughs) boom. And then we go. But like, that's the thing. It's like respecting yourself and being with it. But you have to realize that you everybody listen to this. We are 100 percent responsible for where we get to go. 100%. And if you set your game up to win, and when Alex talks about process, structure, and routine, I talk about containers, right? Like I talk about containers. Put yourself in a container where the only path is progress and the worst is neutrality. Like if you set it up the right way, you know where you want to go. You go out into the future. You create that thing. You do that thing. And you're like, this is where I am. Okay. I'm not going to lose 100 pounds tonight. I'm not. But you know what I can do? I can map out what I'm going to do tomorrow morning, what time, and how much water I'm going to drink when I wake up. And then I'm going to tell somebody. And then they're going to celebrate the shit out of it with me, not break me down and convince me I need to give them more money because I didn't fucking do it right. No shit. Right? Because there's a couple of entrepreneurs, and I haven't said this since I was in the military, but I want to reach down their throat and rip out their fucking spine when I see some (laughs) of the things that they do. And it's important that all of us stand up for our sovereignty and what's best. And we have the ability to do that because there are plenty of people that are here to support you. And that might mean I'm not your cup of tea. Alex is your cup of tea, but somebody's your cup of tea in your flavor. And I don't think this is said enough. I agree with you so, so, so deeply, George, that one of the myths perpetrated in the entrepreneurial world is the solopreneur. Mm -hmm. The happy solopreneur, the successful solopreneur. I, I want everyone listening to understand the words solo and entrepreneurship have nothing to do with each other. It has been made up. It's fake. It's a joke. In fact, let's go look at the people who are teaching people how to become su- successful solopreneurs and talk to their teams because they're not alone because there's no way you can do this alone. No. And, you know, we we are evolutionary hunters. Hunters, pack, hunters hunt in packs. Hunting is not a singular exercise. It is a team exercise. And one of the most important things for us as entrepreneurs is when we can let go of this myth of the solopreneur and admit to ourselves that our success is only partially ours. It's with the people who are around us. It's shared with our team. It's shared with our network. It's shared with the people who who influence us and inspire us. You know, in the time that you and I have been talking, George, like I've had so many ideas. I don't know if you've noticed I've had to take notes over and I love, over again. I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like writing stuff down. And, and here's why. If, if I had sat in my room today by myself for the last two hours listening to other people's podcasts or reading a book or something, I might have had a couple of ideas. But because I'm in this exchange, iron sharpens iron, and we can talk to each other, and I'm listening to George, and I'm understanding his experience, and it's validating mine so many times over today, 
I actually feel like I'm in this completely elevated intellectual space where I can think in a different plane of possibility than was even available to me two hours ago. And that's what entrepreneurship's all about. And George, I totally agree with something you just said, and I don't want us to just rush by it. I think that there's this epidemic in the coaching space today where so many coaches and so many thought leaders are replacing the abusive parent you had as a child mm -hmm. or, or replacing the abusive energy that you had as a child. And so many thought leaders today literally present as an abusive human being the way that they even go up on stage and talk. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that when they get on stage or when I'm, I'm in an event and they're speaking, I literally have to leave the room because I start feeling the violence behind what they're saying. I start feeling the apprehension behind what they're saying. And then I start seeing all the people who have existed in that energy start leaning in and, and like accepting it once again in their lives. And that is not necessary. If there's somebody who's helping you that invalidates you, they are not helping you. If there's somebody who, who you are paying money to, but they're making you feel less than what you are, that is not a healthy relationship. And if there's a coaching or consulting relationship that you are in where you don't feel like you're in momentum and you're moving forward and you're getting what you need and there is any blame or shame being put back on you that is a coach or consultant that doesn't have a clue what they're doing and i say those things you you notice i'm not hedging like if you do this or if you do that or any of those things because the reality is if you come into our program even if it doesn't work out for you we're not going to send you away in pain we're not going to send you away with blame. We're not going to send you away with shame with any of those things. If, if there's a reason why we didn't work out, that's okay. But it's not an indictment of who you are. And far too much of our world today has become a sink or swim indictment of who you are if you can't my space. And that's just totally unfair. And it comes from a thought leader or leader who just doesn't have the right level of experience that, that I'm convinced of that. I couldn't agree more. And I think we talked about this online. One of the problems was, is I ended up in that container and using them as a measuring stick. And it wasn't until I pulled my ripcord and said, you know what? I don't belong here. And I'd rather be alone on the outside in the fringe with the people that matter than playing this game and getting into how much do we charge for masterminds and like, how much can we make for delivering the least amount? And how many times can we get them to pay without coming? Like, I can't. I just couldn't do it yeah. anymore. And and there's that. There's well, and really, what psychological addiction can we set up so that the people around us continue to see us as the only path for their success? Which, by the way, I don't want that as an entrepreneur. No. I, I don't want that responsibility. I don't even want that feeling in my life. That that That's not a feeling of validation. Nope. That's a feeling of innovation. They have a 12-step program for that. It's called CODA. Codependence Anonymous. Codependence Anonymous. Yep. And it's a very, very real thing. If yeah. if you at any moment are like, I can't do this without said mentor, they've already ruined the entire game. You now right. are predicated on feeding your family and thinking and advocating your thinking, your sovereignty, and your success to their ego. Yeah. That is not the way to be. And like, you know, there's this amazing thing with sayings, right? There's probably a reason they've been along this fucking long. <laughs> if you teach a man to fish first, hand him a fish, right? Like, and I say this all the time, like Alex does, Alex and I talked about this separately. We think about e-commerce. We think about consulting. We think about coaching. Alex does this too. What's the danger in giving somebody a win up front? They get to taste how amazing the fish they made was and they come want more. Instead, most of the industry has spent starving people and yep. then promising to give you food later and give you food later. And all they do is move the fucking finish line. Over yep. and over and over. Another product that ends in 997 that's going to give you the thing that was promised in the first one. Yeah. Let's get I just need a new number. I think I'm going to do like 
22.5 or something. Like, like I, I don't know. Like, I just want to pick a number. From now on, everything we sell is 980.50. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I, I'm going to say this, and I couldn't have said this a year ago. I was living with some fragile beliefs in what I did. And, and I think if you've listened to this, you probably understood that it was because I wanted to do it for everybody else because I wanted them to like me and wanted them to have success, but I didn't really believe in myself and I'm not there anymore, right? And so I never pressured anybody to join my mastermind or do my consulting. I just promised them that they would get a return no matter what. And I took a lot of the wrong clients, but I always delivered the result because I sacrificed myself. But here's the thing. If you have anybody in your life, anybody you're coaching, anybody you're consulting, anybody you want to learn from, and their first answer is, I'll give it to you when you pay, you better run the fuck away. Yep, And don't be afraid to do an audit because something happened uh, a couple – a month and a half ago or so that got Alex and I reconnected. And I think it's really important to talk about. And Alex was the first person who nailed this on my post the other day. I said, what's the thing if you if you pay attention to um, guarantees the fastest success and if you ignore, ignore guarantees the fastest failure? And it's integrity. Easy. Yeah. And it's integrity, right? And I all the other answers I got were amazing. I was like, oh my god, all of these apply. I'm going to have to do like 85 posts around this, right? But there's this culture that's perpetuated, and I'm going to say this because I struggled with this. There was a point in my career as a coaching, as a coach and a consultant that I believed that if I gave somebody else credit for what I was teaching, that it would devalue me. And that was my ego. And then this beautiful thing happened. I started giving people credit, and I could teach 85 more things, and my value skyrocketed through the roof. Yeah. And then I wasn't just the muse. I was the guy who studied and learned and introduced and helped and people achieved a lot more results because my ego wasn't involved. And I want to say this because I was talking to Alex about this privately and Alex was just ripped off um, by Dan Locke, which isn't the first time Dan's ripped anybody off. I just use Google. It's an amazing tool to see how many times. It might, might, might be a business model. Over it, it might be. It, it, it really, really might be. I think it might be. But what I think is interesting, and, and I'm saying this because it's not a conversation that's had enough, and Alex and I were talking offline, there's two sides of it. Number one is people need to be held accountable, but number two, we all have to advocate for ourselves and for the responsibility that comes with only accepting the things that are here because supporting it, buying it, or doing nothing is complicit, and also not calling it out and allowing it to continue is complicit. And I think it's a really, really important thing because no matter who you are, what you're investing in, who you're doing business with, who you're doing life with, at the end of the day, all you have is the integrity. And if people aren't being shining pillars and examples, or at least saying, I realize I'm not as shiny as I want to be, but I'm doing the work with you, then it should be an immediate cause for a red flag. And you have the ability to be like, you know what? I need to trust myself. I'm not going to sacrifice myself. I'm not going to bow my morals or tilt my compass so I can say just this one time because that is not a part of having process structure and routine that will get you to your success. No question. I think that in our industry and, and one of the things that, that far, far few, too few of us talk about is that there's this complicit nature in allowing what happens. There's like this, this almost consistent, like people borrowing from each other and taking from each other and turning the other cheek and like not looking at it, not calling out, not saying anything, that big a deal. But the reality is over time, it really is a big deal. And it's gotten to the point where we're in an industry where influence trumps 
possibility, like uh, Trump's responsibility and, and experience. Yeah. And likes and followers looks more important than actual customer results and what you've done in your career. And I think that, you know, there's this dynamic right now where far too many consumers are being taken advantage of in the way that you and I talked about, where they're signing up for help from someone who has only gone as far as to learn how to sell the result, not create it. Yep. And there's so much of that out there right now that, you know, I, I kind of see it as, as, as kind of a submission of mine now to say, not only am I going to do what I'm doing, but I'm only going to help people who are actually doing it in a real way, only going to going to work with those people who are actually getting real results. And if somebody comes in, you know, looking for just the the accolade and the attention and the marketing result, but they're not actually providing it on the back end, they just don't fit in our membership. Yep. They really don't. And you know what's interesting, George? In the groups that we run now, in our membership groups, we've had a couple of people come in and, and we, we kind of feel suspect of them. And almost just as quickly, there's a reason why they drop out or leave or can't be there anymore. Because it's so fundamentally uncomfortable for them. They can't be around all these people who are authentically actually trying to get a result when they're used to just trying to figure out how, what's the fastest way to sell this. Yeah. Not, not deliver it sell it yeah yeah the same thing happens a lot for us too i mean it happens in our free facebook group everyone i've had the amount of people that come in and then i say them by name in a welcome video and tell them the rules and then i realize that three days later they're out of the group i'm like whoa that was fast like guess i yeah, really out. <laughs> guess i really wasn't your cup of tea right but i think also um you know it's this openness and willingness like when we think about leadership we think about entrepreneurship we think about business we think about success the finish line is the awareness. The finish line is the awareness of the journey, of the awareness of the process. There's a really good book on this. Um, Jamie Smart wrote it. It's called The Little Book of Clarity, and it breaks down toxic thinking, right? I'll do this when. I'll be this when versus I am this now. And this level of awareness, I think, is one of the, the keels that we should always have in the water of our boat, right? I stay nautical because I'm a lighthouse guy at this point, right? Like I have to <laughs> – I, I love your commitment to the metaphor. I, I literally am committed for life at this point. It's getting tattooed on my leg. It's not going anywhere. It's permanent. It's not leaving, right? Like it's it's in. So everything is nautical at this point. But I think for entrepreneurs and business owners and leaders, what our job is, our job is to be aware and to be aware that it's never the wrapping paper that we're coming up against, right? It might be email today. It might be social media marketing. It might be systems. It might be processes. It might be culture. But when we really rip back the layers of the onion, it always comes down to ourself. Always. Yeah. Always, always, always. And I, I'll never forget, we did this at one of our events, and I brought Stefanos in. And I don't know, I like to Trojan horse people and ethically, right? So if you add the word ethical, it's okay. So I ethically Trojan horse people. <laughs> and so um, people came to the event. I was like, and people know I talk about self awareness, I talk about personal development, I talk about a lot of those things, right? Because those are the things that we have to work on, they're the supportive muscles that make it able for us to lift or run or do anything, right? It's like sleep, hydration, and food so you can be an entrepreneur. And I was like, hey, guys, bring a pillow and be ready at 5 p.m. We're just going to breathe. That's all I said. That's all. We didn't tell them anything. And we did an hour and a half of transformational breath work. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the room. There were people purging. There were people screaming. There were people crying. And this, by the way, this is cathartic and awesome, not like anybody getting tortured. Right? No, 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 no. It's it's like one of the most transformational experiences you can have with just your breath igniting all of those reactions all of them. and releasing so much. And so what I thought was really interesting is that there were two camps that came up to me after, right? Because I didn't tell anybody. I said, hey, we're just going to breathe with Stephanos, right? We gave everybody an out. You can leave at any moment. 
Um, and then one of two camps. One is like, I never knew this is what I needed. I can't believe I've avoided doing this work. My life is crystal clear for me now. Or I've known I've needed this, but I've never felt safe or confident enough in my body or with the right people to do it, i.e. now my life is catapulting. And, and when we talk about this, Alex and I, we've talked about a ton. Breath work, structure, routine, processes, systems. But if you think about the undertow, what we've really talked about is the exploration, acceptance, forgiveness, and love of self. Of self, 100%. At every single level. Yep. And if you pick a mentor, one that you know isn't involved in some crazy stuff in the world right now, but one that like is a mentor and worth pursuing, you will find this exploration of self. Yeah. This commitment to self. And I think it's probably the biggest quote unquote air quote secret to success is this exploration of self and then having the people around you that allow you to get there, that support you in yeah. being there. And the one distinction that I will make is that you need to be around people that hold you to your greatness, not support your mediocrity. Yeah. And that's a big, big, big thing for me. A big, big, big thing for me. And so I want anybody listening to this, like as this permission slip, if you're like, oh, I think I'm going to be a successful entrepreneur by just writing more emails or just doing more sales funnels or recording more videos, change the lens a little bit, right? Those things are all projections of the work that's done inside. The success of those things is predicated on the success of self. And the commitment to self. And it doesn't mean of like, I'm some woo-woo woke. Like, I can't go sit on top of a mountain and do tumo breathing for 30 days and be warm with no food. Like, I'm not there, right? But I can have that intention and that integrity in myself to get there. And so, I, I don't know. I just, I would love your thoughts on that, Alex. Because you're somebody that like, since you've come into my life again, you're a breath. I mean, by the way, and the validation is back and forth. Like I'm going to ball after this when I go on my walk, even some more. I'm like, yep, got it. Got it. I know who's in my corner. We're friends. I got it. We're here. We're aware. We're doing the same things, but you've embodied this at a different level. You, you know, from the moment I've known you, even when you're giving EPT to you, you're like your water challenge, right? Drink more, drink more, drink more. Right. And then like, it's funny to go from the kid who was afraid to walk in the world to now I tell everybody to chug water, wear blue light blockers and wear vibrant five fingers, right? Like what a, <laughs> what a big shift in confidence that you had at that point. Um, no but like, what are some of the things like people listening right now, like people watching this, listening to this, like there's this part that could feel daunting or overwhelming or like, I'm stuck. Like, what do I do? Like, how do you go about breaking down, you know, knowing where we want to go and what do I do today? Like, what do I do in this moment? Where do I go? How do I start? Like, how do I get into that momentum that you speak so highly of? You know, George, I think that um, as entrepreneurs, for, for the first long period of our lives, we pursue success in order to validate ourselves so that we'll feel better. Yeah. Oh, and man. I think that there's this realization you get to where you realize that through validating yourself, you actually create success because I've created success on paper and I've created success financially. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I remember <laughs> we were the 21st fastest growing company in the United States. You know, that's like one of the, the and, and four years after bankruptcy. So Katie and I went from the lowest low to being the 21st fastest growing company in the United States. And I don't share this. I, I don't think I've even shared this with people, but the day that we were at the Inc 500 event, I was in a arbitration for somebody who had like stolen our stuff. And I, I, I didn't have the right people on my team. I didn't have enough help. I didn't, I, I wasn't delegating. I was holding on to everything. I was growing this massive, like very successful business better than I ever have in the past. 
but still in a place where I was like holding on to doing everything myself, you know, and, and, and pursuing the success as a way to validate who I was. And today, when I, I look at it, it's it's how do I improve myself? How do I get more in touch with myself? And then that creates my success. So I think if you're at the beginning of this journey, it's funny that you brought up water so many times, George. The reason I created the water challenge is because I look at it as water. I always joke with people, water is a gateway drug to success. But yes. you know what it really is? Water is a gateway drug to awareness. That's all it is. Yes. It really is. When you hydrate, when you sit down, when, and when you consciously hydrate, you know what happens? You come right into the moment. You feel it. You understand it. You know that it's there. You can't be absent-mindedly hydrating. You can't. You can't hyperhydrate. Drink a whole bunch of water. Absent-minded, you'll you'll choke on it. You'll you'll gag. You actually have to be present. Yep. And so. For me, you know, I think if, if you're in the place where you haven't really explored anything that George and I have talked about, if this is brand new to you, one of the, the entrepreneurial instincts is, okay, I want to do this all at once and right away. So I'm going to go make a list of everything that George and Alex said, and by Monday, I'm going to have appointments for all of it, and I'm going to do everything. And, you know, here would be my suggestion. Start hydrating like crazy. Focus on it. Just focus on hydrating for the next two weeks. Go to getthirstynow.com and take our 10-day natural thirst challenge, and for 10 days, follow the directions and do nothing but drink water and see how you feel about not 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 the world in general not your business not everything else see how you feel about yourself at the end of 10 days george one of the most profound messages i ever got from somebody after doing the 10 day natural thirst challenge was from this woman who said by the third day of drinking water i wanted to stop because i was having realizations about my childhood and what i had been through when i was younger and I didn't realize everything that was going on. And she said, but I didn't stop. And by the fifth day, I started having more real, oh God, I'm getting a little choked up talking about this because we're talking about water. She's like, and by the fifth day, I was having even more realizations. By the seventh day, I made an appointment with a therapist. Before I was done with the challenge, I was in my first therapy appointment and I was exploring and talking about things that I didn't really understand existed. And, and this is what, her words. I think I had been dehydrated so long, so I didn't have to face it. And it's that little step in a direction. You know, I think there's 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 definitely a lot to be said for the school of thought of taking massive action all at once and right away. But I've redefined action in my life. Massive action doesn't mean sitting down and making an unbeatable to-do list that I'm never gonna be able to accomplish and then using it as a whipping stick to tell myself I'm not good enough in yet a different way. What massive action mean, means now in my life is committing to one modality, one thing, and and making it really work for the time frame that I've I've committed to. Like one of the things that I've, I've I'm going to start doing is I'm actually building the same ice chest system that George has because he sent me all the information. And I, instead of doing cold showers, I'm going to start doing the cold cold plunges. But I'm not going to add 25 different things at that point. I'm going to do cold plunges every day, probably for 30 to 90 days and explore what does that do for me? What is, how does that open things up? So, you know, if, if you're just starting out on this, I'm gonna give you advice that I think is counterintuitive to most of the advice in the world today. Pick one thing yep. and go slow and explore it and understand it. And for me, the two best places to start are either a breathwork practice or hydration. And hydration's the easiest one to pick up and do right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love, imagine this by the way, I would get emotional too, but you know, the thing that raises awareness is also what, like what 87% of our body's made up of and gives us exactly. life and we die without it. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting what happens when you actually love yourself through right. water. And and by the way, for anybody who's doubting this, I drink a gallon a day minimum. 
Um, I get super aware about every 17 minutes when I'm about to get a UTI and I wake up really quickly when I got to go to the bathroom. But it's really interesting, like those little pattern interrupts of like how intentional that is. And when you say one thing, Alex, I want everybody to hear this because when you look at everything that you do in your life, in your day and where you go, if you take that intentionality into one area, that rises across. It's osmosis across the board. Awareness isn't a compartment. It's not a thing. It's like when you have awareness and you have that intentionality, it applies everywhere. You're going to start to realize there's distinctions in your day. You're going to start to realize the food that you're putting in your mouth, how you're responding to emails, how your body is feeling when that text message comes in. Like there was a point in my life as an entrepreneur last year that I made a rule that nobody could send me audio messages because I couldn't handle the feeling from the moment I got a message to hearing what was in the message. So I told them they had to text me. I would go six, seven, eight days without listening to those messages because I was making up all this stuff because I was in my head and disconnected from the present. And I probably sound psycho saying that, but that was a true thing for me. Like, I don't think you sound psycho at all. In fact, if anybody's listening is willing to actually explore their own feelings, there's been times in my life where every message was an indictment that I was waiting to open. Like I had already created the story of what the indictment was. Yeah. It's funny that you used the word Trojan horse earlier, George, because I often share with people my Trojan horse is water. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like water because it's innocent. Yeah, it totally will. And it's not threatening. When I was at Caveman, somebody asked me, like looking back, because reflections like awesome, right? Hindsight. And they're like, so why did you always post desserts? And I was like, because paleo desserts were a gateway drug for me to get to their soul. <laughs> and they're like, what? And I was like, I don't care if you ate banana bread or the ribs or the cinnamon rolls, but no matter where I got you, all I was going to talk about was self-love is because that's what I needed. And I was like, but if I was on the front, I'm like, I'm going to teach you to love yourself. So come eat my banana bread. Nobody was coming in. But I was like, come eat my banana bread and realize why you keep turning to desserts instead of eating healthy food your body needs. And it was I love that. It was one of those things. And now it's marketing, right? It's it's like customer journey. It's the, you know, the value of marketing. Like, I mean, Alex and I jammed on customer journey for hours and I have like eight more hours of thoughts for him and Katie. I'm just trying not to drown them so they can survive through <laughs> me. Right? Like, oh, man, you've already changed the way we approach so many. Like you, you mentioned it earlier and I want to make sure that it doesn't get glossed over. If you're not in George's free Facebook group, you need to be for two reasons. The first one is it's just an amazing group with a lot of amazing people. I've invited several hundred of my friends to join in the past few weeks. Um, but in addition to that, follow the process. Just watch the mastery with when you're which with you're brought into the group, how it feels, the emotions that it triggers. Like, holy crap. I, I mean, I, I'm in this free Facebook group with George, and there's 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 multiple times exponentially more benefit than a lot of stuff that I paid for. Actually, exponentially more benefit than a lot of stuff that I paid thousands of dollars for in the free group. Just if you watch the process and and pick up on how things are being done in there, I just want everyone to to join us in there. It's it's intense. Yeah, I appreciate it, and and it it really really is, and like that's the thing, right? And here's it's tier one thing to validate that point, like. I have so many coachable moments of this that like Alex has solidified himself as a mentor in my life just from this conversation that I'm going to go put into practice, right? That's what friendship does. That's what it does. But Alex said one thing, right? Here's what happened. I ran away from social media and not ran away. Like I very intentionally ran away. I was like, I'm out. I'm out. Deleted, gone. I'm off. I'm not coming back. And there got to a point where my wife said, hey, I think it's time. And I think what she really meant is you're talking too much at home and I need you to have an outlet so our marriage can work, right? Like that's that's how I synthesized and summarized what was said. 
And I looked at it and I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, I don't want to be everywhere. I just want to be in a Facebook group. That's it. And that was it. And I started the Facebook group again. And I was dark off social media for two years. No website, no email list, no nothing. Started a Facebook group and in like three months had like 1,600 people. And everyone's like, I'm getting results. I'm getting results. I'm like, because that's my one thing. Like, that's where I'm going to focus my time. Like, that's where I want to water my plants. Like, and the indoc process in that group has changed probably 17 times. Same concept, same after state, but looking at, oh, that worked. Oh, that didn't work. Like, oh, let's tweak it. Let's break it down. Let's go. And seeing the levers of like, really, what does it take to move the needle to create connection, to create commitment, and to teach people how to fish? But it's only because I look at that one thing. Yeah. And some of the biggest mistakes when I come into companies, right? Like, and and I will share this right now. I can't believe I've been paid $50,000 to teach this shit. Like, ready? And this is going to really devalue me while valuing me because I own it at this point. I come in and the number one question, okay, so we're going to be on all the platforms at once. And I was like, okay, yeah, nothing like giving a 20% effort to 10 different things and expecting a 100% result, right? Well, how do I know which one to be on? How do I know? Well, uh, I was like, oh, cool. I said, what's the first app you open on your phone in the morning? Like Instagram. I said, great, delete every other platform. I'm like, why? I'm like, your avatar is an Instagram avatar. Done. And like, how do you know? I'm like, I know. I'm like, I don't need to do research. I don't need to do demographic. I was like, I know. I was like, that's what you're attracted to. That's what you'll attract. Go all the way in. And then all of a sudden, three months later, like our business quadrupled on Instagram. And I was like, because it's not a chore and it's not a doing this. It's a being this. Because you would have done it anyway. And I was like, and when you start being, when you start being is when you become a lighthouse. When you start doing is when you're a snake in the grass. And I was like, what most people don't talk about, and I've done this before. What most people don't talk about is this. You can have good video. You can have good image. You can have good copy. But what you can't script is feeling and congruency. The energy. Yep. And I've gone to companies who have not – I've not touched a funnel. I've not touched a copy. I've gotten them grounded and re-recorded an ad. And it went from a 0.3 ROAS to a 5.7 ROAS because of how they were being in the video. Not the words they were using, anything. And it wasn't anything to do with marketing. When I say nobody has a marketing problem, everybody has a relationship problem with yourself, your team, and your customers informed in that order, yourself being the most important part. So when we say this and you pick that one thing, what I'm inviting you to do, because that is sage advice, muse level advice from the billionaire entrepreneurial type master of self-awareness over here, Alex, (laughs) it's that whatever you do, in that time, when you look at your water consumption, authentically look at why you're doing it, what's coming up and what you can learn, what's working, what's not working. How are you feeling? What are those feelings? And do everything in your power to be as congruently yourself as possible. And there will be absolutely no measuring stick for the level of success that you get throughout everything that you do. No question. No question. None. I shared this. I shared this quote in my event this week, and a lot of people like wrote it down, and and, uh, and it resonated with everyone. Um, and it's until you are willing to take care of yourself, you will not defend and protect yourself in this world at all. And if you haven't been getting what you want out of the world, if you haven't, if you don't have the success you want, the business you want, the relationships you want, you aren't taking care of yourself in a way that will produce those things. And it is so hard to see because that's not the reflection we get from the vast majority of the personal development world. In fact, the reflection we get from the vast majority of the personal development world is the more you abuse yourself, the more success you will experience. You know, we see this all the time. And the fact is, 
through the, the path to the success you want, it goes through self-care 100% of the time. And until we're doing it in a way that's valid and real and actually supports us, we will not make the choices we need to to have the success we want. Nope. And I'm going to um, – you'll know who I'm talking about. But you can't out-hustle your self-care. You, nope. you can't. And so, I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, and it doesn't matter how many videos you get on and yell at everybody about how angry you are and how big your business is. You know, success doesn't mean you have the gross revenue number. Nope. Success means you actually are in a place where you appreciate the gross revenue number. And I've never said this on a podcast, but I will say this because this is what breaks my heart. I grew up in a broken home. I didn't have parents. Yeah. I had parents who were addicts, right? Entrepreneurship is an addiction as well. Dopamine yeah. validation and reach is an addiction as well. And I will never support you quote unquote hustling more to live in a toxic thought life of when I do this, I'll then do this. Well, the only people that suffer in the moment are the ones that you are claiming to do it for because I will never support somebody training their child that work is more important or that you only get to see me three hours a week because I'm quote unquote hustling. And so yeah. in everything that's here, understand and like understand more than ever. I don't talk about the fragility of life a lot. I've witnessed a lot. I've lost 28 Marines. I've witnessed three of them. I've seen death on a level that nobody should ever see. And it's in a moment's notice it's gone. And our job, drink water, be present, be aware, that's when the needles move. That's when the impact is amplified because it's grounded in what it's supposed to be. And so you take these practices, but plug in as much as you can and don't be absolved. Like there's, I get unplugged. I get afraid. I get triggered. I couldn't sleep last night. I was having nightmares about crazy stuff that I'm like, I couldn't script this for a television show. Like, like I couldn't. And I woke up and I'm like, fine, that's okay. Plug back in, plug back in, plug back in, plug back in, but plug back into yourself and make sure before you go to the world that you are in yourself first. Do not go to the world seeking self from a place of whole. It's going to fill me. I'm going to get something. I forget 95% of the things that I post on social media and I forget I posted them. I forget I posted them. And now my practice is making sure that if it's going out, it's already clear and I'm through it to the other side. So do your water, do your practice, grow in silence and share the results yeah. of the gardening, share the results of the harvest, not, you know, the process of all of it. So pick a practice. Like it's, it's so, I don't, I just, there's so many things, Alex, I just want to plug a USB stick into people's brains that took me <laughs> so much pain and trauma and collateral damage to learn. And I was like, I get that that was my lesson and everybody has to do their own. But I'm like, you know, what I love about you and you're a shining example of this is that you live it. Right. Like, and just so everybody listening, Alex and I were going to do this podcast yesterday. Nope. Because his daughter had something that was important to him. And of course, my only answer is hell yeah, you better. Right. Why? Because that week I sacrificed family time for something I shouldn't have. And I learned a lesson in that text message from Alex. And it happens all day as long as we're open to receiving it. And that's the game. Be open to it. Reward yourself for it. Acknowledge myself and then be proud of myself that I did it. Yeah. And, and surround yourself with people who are doing the same thing. 
to surround yourself with people who are doing the same thing. You know, if if you're in a mastermind where they're talking more about gross revenue than they are profitability, or they're talking more about social media metrics than they are how much time you spend with family, or they're talking more about like how you're going to grow this business is going to change everything without really focusing on yourself and changing first. That is, there's probably a, a high level of toxicity in that environment and you probably feel it and you're in denial. Yeah. And, and so lean into the feeling of that toxicity and understand that it shouldn't feel that way. And, and I, the, you know, you said is so crucially important. I think that, you know, my way of helping entrepreneurs to become wildly successful is to precipitously and exponentially lower the pressure and noise in their lives. And today in the entrepreneurial world, world, unfortunately, most of the examples we get, it looks like in order to be successful as an entrepreneur, you have to put up with more pressure and noise than anybody else. And that is just a fallacy. It's not true. And, and it's being perpetuated by people who are addicted to the state of being overwhelmed so that they don't have to face what's really going on with them. Mm -hmm. And I, like I said, I'm not going to name any names, but I'm sure you can guess at some of the people that we're talking about. But once you get beside, behind the scenes with some of the most wildly successful people in our space, what you find is people who are upset and frustrated and anxious and triggered right before they walk on stage to change everybody's lives. Yep. And then on the they, other side, the ones that aren't talking about it, you find with success, you do realize one thing. They spend more time with themselves and the people they love else. without any influence of the outside world. Yep. hundred percent. And it's taken me – and like I'll, I'll share because I think it's important to talk about. A lot of people here – you know the companies I've worked with. You know who I work with. But you notice I don't call them friends. I don't. <laughs> and I went through a period in the last two years where I didn't have any quote-unquote friends. And I couldn't. And then magically, when I stopped looking for them and I wasn't collecting them, that they're all there now. Alex being one of them. Brad Costanza, another one. And Stefano Sifondos. And then my number two, my number one, really, Tyler, who is like my brother-in-arms who spends every moment with me. And like, I have everybody I need in my life. Everybody. And I think it's so important to spend the time utilizing those and being in relations with those and being with those people that support us and then the collection of those and those gifts and what they bring out of us and then sharing that with the world. It's an yeah. abundant game. It's an abundant game. And really, at the end of the day, we don't even know if the dollar is going to fucking exist tomorrow. So let's just be really frank about this one, right? Currency is going to be food, water, and ammo. And I have plenty of ammo, so we're good. <laughs> um but I think it's really important to just keep that measuring stick and the barometer on like what matters, right? And and being really plugged into it. And Alex, I'd love that you say this. You have such a perspective and, and such an expertise with this. I just love it. And um Elp to Ken on my podcast, the the monk podcast that we listen to. I, I'll never forget this. You say it, right? You say being present and aware. And we talked about like the industry and how it's like this perpetuated coaching and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he did this whole rant of like, oh, they go to a weekend meditation retreat and they think they're a meditator right they can teach meditation he's like i sat in a monastery for nine years and i couldn't even count to 15 <laughs> and he's like so you can start teaching it when you can count to 100 and he's like it took me like 10 years to get there and he's like and if you can't take a shit without your phone you're not living and i was like god there's so much wisdom in this there's so much wisdom in this and then now every time i go to the bathroom I'm like no phone no phone be present what am i feeling how do i lean into it and i get it but I think the undertow of everything we talked about, man, it's it's self awareness, it's it's self love, it's acceptance, and it's um, and I love your def I love your definition of, you know, massive action, right? Like I love your definition of the needle mover. For me, it's making sure that the action we take is uh, you know, intentional and disciplined, 
right? Like intentional being like, we know where we're going. We know where we want to get to. And then we have the discipline or as you call it, the process, the structure, and the routine to maintain that commitment agnostic of feelings because commitment isn't feelings. And at the end of the day, integrity gets permeated through our industry by being integrous with ourselves, integrous yeah. with our words and playing that game. And I think it's just such a profound and for those of you listening, this is a Sunday morning conversation. This is my cup of coffee this morning. So I, I don't think I'm going to even need a cup of coffee today. I'm kind of like jolted on life at this point. I feel the same way. Katie and I are about to go. We we uh, we set up an appointment to get IVs today because we had a vent this week and we were pretty drained. And Smart. like my normal process of going to the IV place is I like pick a podcast or something to listen to. And as we're talking, I'm like, I looked over and I'm like, okay, that's the notebook. That's the pen. I'm just going to go write. Yeah. Because there's so much that has come out of this conversation. I agree. Like, I, I don't need coffee or any other stimulant right now. I want to go I want to go process what we've talked about, George, because I think, you know, the reality is so many of us are running away from who we are and trying to create this environment where we're going to discover what we've really been trying to be. And the fact is if you stop and reverse that and and start focusing on who you are and discover who you really want to be the environment will build itself yeah. and like you said I, I feel very much the same way you know the the fact that you and i have reconnected at such a deep and validating level it's like this just dropped in my lap when i needed it this relationship just showed up when it was necessary and it's bizarre because it's existed for five years very weird level because yeah. I went back and looked at like when we first text message and it's like five years ago. Five I'm years like, ago. How, did, how did that even happen? I didn't even remember that. I didn't even know I had your number in my phone mm -hmm. until you messaged me and it was already there with your name. And I'm like, this is bizarre. Yeah. And so, you know, the, 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 to me, the most, um, the most opportune times come from focusing on myself and the right things just show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, everything appears when it's supposed to, right? Like the, the teacher appears when the student is ready. And like, I, I feel the same way. I really, really do. And you guys thought Zuckerberg was creepy. I got myself an Alex's phone five years ago. That's <laughs> Yeah, buddy. That's how you really knew I was using that therapy and NLP with no feeling to get my way back then. Right. That's a walking <laughs> testament right there. His response was like, I don't put any of my phone. How'd you get here? And I was like, man, I don't think you'd be proud of the person that you met, but I was really good back then. Really, really good. <laughs> Oh, uh, but it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Alex, I actually couldn't have wished for a better morning recording and uh, conversation. This has been a gift to me. Um, and for everybody listening, I hope so as well. Um, I just want to ask, like I broke every structure of this. I'm just going to do every podcast like this at this point. Um, I do. I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you. So first it's Alex Sharfin, C-H-A-R-F-E-N. Um, you have <laughs> Sharfin.com. Then you have yep. the billionaire code and then the water challenge. And listen, uh, let me be really direct. Go do the water challenge. I'm going to come hunt you down and kick you in the shins with love. I promise. Right. <laughs> just just enough to get you going because I don't think there's any way to lose by loving yourself. There's no yep. way to lose that. And so play with it. Try it. Um, go to Get Thirsty Now. Anywhere else where you want people to find you. Are you still doing the podcast too? I am. The podcast – so in fact, George, we just had a huge month in the podcast. We got up to like 70,000 downloads I think or 60-something thousand downloads. And we just found out that 
um, in out of all 800,000 podcasts worldwide, we're in the top 1,000. Nice. So um, if you go to MomentumPodcast.com, we're on every major uh, platform. But I didn't real. So I just found out that Chartable gives those numbers. I didn't realize we were like that. That I think I'm like number podcast. three in Sweden. <laughs> we definitely I show up on the business business list for the Philippines all the time. But we're, we there's been several weeks where we've been top 200 in the United States for entrepreneurship and business. So MomentumPodcast.com, um, short episodes, all with one solution. Great place to get more info. I love it. I love it. Um, Alex, I would love to end with your sage wisdom, your sage advice. Any closing words for anybody you want to leave people with? They get a day, a week, a month ahead of them. And what's that? What's that thing that rings true? Stick their keel deep in the water. I would love to hear your thoughts. You know, I think for anyone listening, we've talked about a lot today, but there's one thing that I want you to understand. If you're listening to mine and George's podcast, that analogy that I gave earlier of the evolutionary hunter has existed throughout the entire course of humanity. If you look at the great hunters throughout history and, and you know, Anyone who remember, who you remember, anyone who matters to be remembered was just like us. You know, Einstein was so different. He didn't speak until he was four years old. He failed algebra. You know, Edison was like one of the weirdest people on the face of the planet. He proposed to his wife in mode by tapping on her arm and she didn't speak Morse code. She didn't even understand it. He was upset that she didn't give him an answer. You know, you, you look throughout history and the, and, and the most unique, the most challenged were also the ones who rose to the occasion. Helen Keller, at the time that she was born, should have been put in a sack and thrown in a river. And I'm not saying that judgment wise, I'm saying that's what actually happened back then. And she was able to go on and change the world. So for anyone listening, we've given you a lot of different directions to go, but I wanna help you with one thing. If you feel like you can do something, if you're showing up to a podcast like this, if you have the motivation to be different, to go out and change the world, to make something happen, everyone who you remember, everyone who matters to be remembered is just like us. And that doesn't mean that you're similar. That means that you are part of our tribe. And we are the most important tribe in history because evolutionary hunters are the people who get up every day go create a new reality, challenge the status quo, and demand this world become a better place. So don't ever forget that you are one of us, and that is your birthright. That is who you are. And if your mind is pregnant with the question, can I do this? The answer is always yes. Well, now your mind is pregnant, and this has been <laughs> the mind of George Shell. This <laughs> is why I don't read scripted intros, because there's no way I could have ever captured this two hours and 20 minutes of Alex's brilliance and gift to the world and the way that you just said your mind is pregnant will blow my mind for the rest of today. I will be stealing that and giving you credit, which means I'm borrowing it and bringing it back. Um, Alex, <laughs> there's no better way to end that. And that gave me goosebumps, um, especially the part where you said it was our birthright. And I think that that is the best gift that we could have as entrepreneurs is to accept our sovereignty and realize that we don't get to become the difference. We are the difference. And Hell that's yeah. what we get to remember as we go throughout our day. So everybody listen to this, uh, please make sure you subscribe to the show. Please um, do yourself a favor and go subscribe to the show that's better than mine. It's a little bit more structured, but I'll get there. It's the Momentum Podcast. And uh, I'm saying that jovially. I love my show. I think it's absolutely amazing. Leave a review. And we will, guys, see you in the next episode. So remember that no matter what you do, no matter where you are, that relationships will always beat algorithms. Thanks for being here, Alex. Love you, brother. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to this episode. And like I said in the beginning, 
and probably a ton of times throughout. Make sure you subscribe to the show if you want to hear more. Now, leave a review if you like me. Actually, don't leave a review if you like me. Just leave a review if you feel so inclined. But I'm going to ask you because it helps other people find this. And I'm going to give you a little marketing lesson in the outro of this anyways. Go to mindofgeorge.com so you can get into our crazy family and also get a free gift my team and I made for you. Now, here's the thing. There's only four types of customer journeys and I'm sending you to one page to cover all of it. But our job is to give you everything that you need to succeed as an entrepreneur. See, what I want is I want you to be in our family. I want to be in a relationship with you. And I want you to have a win before I ever get a win. And so on that page, you'll see some of the best stuff that we have, our top podcast episodes, our free courses we put together, our free content. And there's one in particular that I'm super proud of. We put together a free 30-day transformational marketing course, literally just need your email so you can get in and get into the membership site. We talk about the two most important documents in your business, your lighthouse and your avatar sheet, which we now call the beacon of beliefs in your captain's assessment. We teach you about the conscious and subconscious customer journey, how to have congruency in your marketing, the psychology of email marketing marketing, the six email sequences that your business needs to have right now to win, the two most wasted pieces of real estate and digital marketing that you can fix right now, my special five-part email recipe, and how to reframe your card abandonment strategy so you don't insult people's intelligence anymore, plus whatever else I can come up with on a certain level of crazy, because my mission is to teach you that relationships will always beat algorithms, and I'm ready to be on your team, I'm ready to be in your corner, and it's time for you to win a gold medal. So make sure you go to mindofgeorge.com, and we'll see you in the next episode. I love you all. Bye.